Welcome to another episode of the Batman by the Numbers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Cohen, and we want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. And as it's Thanksgiving, most of us are with family, of course. And today I'm here with my Bat family. (laughs) Joining me as always, we have podcast editor of thepopbreak.com, Alex Marcus. Alex, hello. Hey, Dan. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy to be here. Happy Thanksgiving. And joining us for the first time, you've heard him on the Pop Break TV podcast. Very excited to have Michael T. Ford III. Michael, welcome. Uh, glad to be here. Um, thank you for having me. I, 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 I feel like the, the person that you bring to Thanksgiving dinner that you didn't announce to the rest of your family who's sitting at the table trying to trying to sample you know everybody's uh, appetizers but not offending anyone because I don't know whose dishes are the best dishes and who are the most popular members of the family so I'll be at the outskirts of the table with one eye on football and the other eye on uh, all the family tea so that's that's me on Thanksgiving Hey, listen, that's great. It's all and we're, we're all Batman fans here and it's all talking about bad content. So that's what we're here to do today. Very, very happy to have you here. Um, fantastic. So uh, glad you're both here. We've got another great rankings episode today. I think you're all going to like it. Uh, but first, and I uh, h- hate to transition to a dour note, but time of us recording, it was a couple days ago. We heard the sad news about the passing of Kevin Conroy. Uh, Kevin Conroy was, of course, the voice actor for Batman on the Batman animated series and continue to play him in several animated movies, as well as the Arkham video games. He played the role of Batman for decades. Uh, So we'd be remiss not to talk about this at the top of the show, um, as we certainly want to give him the honor that he deserves. I, for me, I I've been a Batman fan my whole life. Uh, I've seen all the Batman content you can imagine when it comes to Batman fandom, there is nothing in the world of Batman that Batman fans are more passionate about than Kevin Conroy's work as this character. We've been blessed with a lot of great Batman actors, but there's no doubt in my mind that if you took a national poll, who everyone's favorite Batman was, I think Kevin Conroy would win. Iconic doesn't begin to describe his portrayal of this character. When you hear that voice, within a millisecond of hearing it, you know who it is. Yeah, I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on voice acting, but he'd be at the top of my list in that field. Uh, you know, throwing whatever movie, TV show, whatever you want, he, he's at the top of the mountain for me. As Batman, he was intimidating, rough, vulnerable, scared, funny. He infused everything you can imagine into that character. Obviously, him as Batman is what we all point to, but his Bruce Wayne is also super underrated. He played the facade of Bruce Wayne, but never had to go overboard with it. It was seamless. And I was just rewatching Phantasm the other day and, you know, the scene where he's pleading with his parents at the gravesite, asking him if it's OK to break his vow. You know, the line reading of I didn't count on being happy. It's, it's an incredible work of acting. He, he's probably the biggest reason why the world of the animated series lived on for so long through multiple generations. Uh, you know, at times when there wasn't a Batman movie, he was keeping the flame burning for years. So that that's all I got to say. I'll just use the word that everybody's been throwing around. He was legendary and a pivotal figure in the long history of this character, for sure. But uh, Alex, your thoughts on Kevin Conroy? 
yeah, I mean, he's a legend, you know? He was, uh, I started uh, becoming a Batman fan as a little kid watching Batman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond. Those were, that was my introduction to the character way before I ever got to see any of the films. And so for me, he is Batman in all of the ways that it matters, you know? And uh, it's a tremendous loss. Uh, it's it's remarkable that he was able to stick with the character for so long. It really is a testament to how much the fans embraced him, you know? openly gay actor uh, in Hollywood getting to be a superhero is obviously a rarity these days, uh, even more so back in the 90s. And I think that's notable as well. And I just love that, you know, before we lost him, he got to portray him in live action once uh, in the Mm -hmm. Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover event that the CW did. Uh, He got to play a sort of jaded and uh, version of uh, of Bruce Wayne uh, that Kate Kane's Batwoman has to confront with Supergirl um, while they're trying to recruit uh, forces of the multiverse to help stop some wild event. And uh, and he was great in live action, too. And he really... um, sold the character and that stage of the character so much better than I think, you know, um, we, I think that, uh, you know, um, (laughs) Ben Affleck as Batman uh, is probably better than some people give him credit for, but I think that Kevin Conroy in that one episode of Batwoman got to do what Bruce, uh, what Ben Affleck uh, tried and and never got to do as much, you know, um, in, in playing that sort of jaded, um, over-it Batman who's just kind of broken and cynical uh, because of all of his follies uh, and and failed attempts to be the hero that we all wanted him to be. And I love that he got to do that and in a pretty high-profile event for at least the CW. Um, but So that was, I was really glad that he got that. That felt like a gift that um, that Greg Berlanti and company gave him and one that he truly earned after decades of playing the character in voiceover. Absolutely. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to echo what uh, Alex and, and you have said. Um, you know, he's not only a legend, but really a cornerstone and, um, you know, a measuring stick, particularly with respect to um, the the ambiance and the the voice of what uh, what it means to be Batman. I mean, I've had a lot of people over the last few days talk about how when they even when they read Batman comic books, he's the voice that they hear in their heads when they're um, you know when they're imagining the dialogue playing out. And you know that's that's so powerful to have taken a hold of the imagination of generations of fans in the in the way. And like you said. Um, you know, the gift that was given of him finally getting to portray uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman in live action um, before his passing is, you know, is a great bookend. I mean, you know, it's still we're still talking about, you know, how sad and tragic his passing is, but at least there's a kind of a, a bittersweet memory to hold on to um, as we, you know, kind of celebrate him and mourn him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said, guys. So Kevin Conroy, we thank you. Uh, never easy to transition for that, but we press on with our main topic today. Uh, so as I mentioned before, it's Thanksgiving. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving and being with our families, we wanted to honor Batman's family. That's right, the Bat family. You know, for a guy who on the surface is a loner, you know, brooding in his Bat cave alone all day long, he has a lot of allies. Uh, and that's what we'll be ranking today. So from the movies, we'll be discussing the Alfreds, the Gordons, the Robins, the Chief O'Hara's, you name it. So as always, I got to set the stage. So here we here we go. So we have 19 contenders for these rankings. Um, 
I, I should have added one more for an even 20. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should have included <laughs> Ace the Dog from Batman Beyond. Whatever. Uh, all right. Here we go. I will read in chronological order. Here are the list of the Bat Family allies that are eligible today. We have Dick Grayson Robin, played by Burt Ward from Batman 1966. Chief O'Hara, played by Stafford Rep from Batman 1966. Alfred, played by Michael Goff from the Burton Kumacher era, all four films. Also in all four films, Pat Hingle playing James Gordon. Uh, from Batman, The Mask of the Phantasm, we have Alfred, voiced by Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Uh, also playing Dick Grayson and Robin, Chris O'Donnell from Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, of course. Uh, also from Batman and Robin, Alicia Silverstone playing Barbara Wilson slash Batgirl. Uh, getting into the Nolan era, we have, of course, Michael Caine playing Alfred in the Dark Knight trilogy. Also in all three films from the Dark Knight trilogy, Gary Oldman playing James Gordon. We have Lucius Fox played by Morgan Freeman, Dark Knight trilogy, all three films. Then in Just the Dark Knight Rises, we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt as John Blake slash Robin. And then, of course, we have Anne Hathaway playing Selena Kyle Callaman from The Dark Knight Rises. Moving on to BVS, uh, from Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, we, of course, have Jeremy Irons as Alfred. We have three from the Lego Batman movie. We have Michael Sarah as Dick Grayson slash Robin. We have Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. And then, of course, another Alfred. We have Ray Fiennes as Alfred. All right, and then finally moving on to the Batman, the most recent Batman film, we have three. We have Andy Serkis as Alfred, Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon, and Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle slash Calvin. There you go. Quite the list. And uh, if you're keeping track at home, that's six Alfreds, four Robins, three Gordons, two Catwomen, two Batgirls, one Lucius Fox, and one Chief O'Hara. Uh, all right, so as always, we each did our own ranking separately. And then we combine the best scores for the official ranking. And as always, and as always, I, only I have the list. Only I know the results. And we're going to find out right now. That's it. That's all the table setting. Uh, we're going to go from worst to best. Are you both ready to begin? I'm we're so ready. ready. Let's do it. All right. Drowning well, and Alfred's over here. That's right. So we, here we go. We begin with a tie. How about that? Yes. We have a tie for last place. So, no 19th place, tied for 18th place. We have Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon, and you guys are jerks. You should all feel great shame. That's right. These these jackasses both ranked Chief O'Hara dead last. We'll, we'll start there. Poor, poor Chief O'Hara. So, I, I'm going to start <laughs> and give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this man his due. So, all right. As I've stated many times on this podcast, there is no bigger fan of the 60s Batman show than me. So, I obviously did not have Chief O'Hara last. I had him 12th. But it wasn't enough. Um, <laughs> well, I, well, I can't justify Chief O'Hara in the top five or anything. The reason I do have him in a decent spot is because Chief O'Hara is a significant reason why the 60s era Batman is so iconic. So by that logic, he does his job well as the character and brings exactly the tone that was needed. So I love Chief O'Hara. I just I just love what a big fanboy of Batman he is. So when you look at the 60s movie, you know, at the press conference, Batman is agreeing to talk to the press after the yacht incident and chief o'hara is like you know you're you're lucky he's talking to you at all it's just this unrelenting devotion like in his mind to even be in the presence of batman and robin is like a gift from god uh his reaction to when miss kitka asks if they'll take off their masks like the look on chief o'hara's face is priceless he's just like how dare you uh also the scene when robin 
tells him to go up to the roof to turn on the back signal. He's just so excited, sprinting upstairs. He's so into it. Stafford rep was so into the role. So Chief O'Hara is awesome. Uh, I don't know how you guys sleep at night ranking him last. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, wh- why last for you for Chief O'Hara? I mean, no disrespect to the man, but, you know, I can only go off of the movie because I haven't seen the show. And in the movie, the only thing I remember about him as a character is that he just stood by the phone waiting for Batman to call. And I'm sorry, it's not <laughs> I mean, really there a have been team player. Countless, <laughs> there have been countless uh, songs about why you shouldn't do that, you know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I think that um, he just doesn't bring a lot to the table in that movie. I don't know what to tell you. All right, fair enough. Uh, Michael, why did last for you? So, you know, uh, I didn't get a lot of notes about methodology, so I decided to create my own methodology. And my methodology uh, took a lot into account in terms of their overall contribution to the mythos, um, you know, how well they uh, advanced how the characters perceived across all media. And, uh, you know, Chief O'Hara just doesn't have much of an impact. You know, if you've only watched the television show or only watched the movie, um, you know, there's there's not a lot there's beyond that beyond that one incarnation. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot to work with. Uh, he wasn't he was entertaining in his day, but I think that a modern audience just wouldn't respond as positively to him. And I don't think that the Batman character has been you know positive has had a positive impact by his association and his uh, relationship to Chief O'Hara. Chief O'Hara is a fan, and you know we're all fans here, so maybe we should be 19. <laughs> well, uh, well said now i'm giving you guys a hard time but i told it's it's in it goes back to what you said alex like if you just if you weren't like really really into the 60s show then you're just not gonna have that connection to chief o'hara so i totally get it so uh, i i want to give the man his due it is what it is at least he, you know at least it was a tie for last i guess but all right we'll we'll move on to also the other person who did tie for last uh we move on to we move on from one police officer who didn't do a whole lot to another police officer who doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, and that is Pat Hingle's Commissioner Gordon. I was the lowest on him. I had him second to last. I mean, you guys both have him at 16. Uh, w- with all due respect to Pat Hingle, there's nothing wrong with his performance. And let's and let's give him some credit. He, he was in all four of those original Batman movies. Uh, I was actually looking at his IMDb. He was in a ton of stuff. Apparently, he was the narrator on the original Land Before Time. So, but I can... It's, as far as his performance as Gordon, I can basically sum up his Gordon in these scenes. So in Batman 89, he goes to enter the cathedral at the end, which is blocked off. Then he leaves and it's just like, eh, let's get some spotlights. Batman returns. Thanks for saving the day, Batman. That's pretty much it. Batman Forever, he does have his big moment where he's, you know, yeah, go, go. when he's shouting on the rooftops as, you know, the bat plane flies through the night. Uh, so good cheerleader there. And then, I mean, to be honest, he's probably the most active in Batman and Robin, ironically. Uh, he does at the beginning tell Batman that the new villain in town is named Mr. Freeze. So that was helpful. So there you go. I don't really have anything else to say. Uh, Pat Hingle, appreciate the loyalty in all four movies. Uh, you know, it's not your fault. You were given really no writing to work with. So, uh, Alex, say some nice, nice things about Pat Hingle's Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, so, like, he's, I mean, Pat Hingle is a great character actor. He's doing exactly what's asked of him. I'm not reading his performance as James Gordon. I'm reading how good of a member of the Bat family he is. And to me, what being a good member of the Bat family means is someone who 
Batman can rely on for either emotional or like crime fighting support in some way, right? And I just don't think that uh, James Gordon in those in those '90s films really bring it. Uh, I feel like his only real job is to turn the bat signal on, and and then once he's done that, he's ready. He's off the screen. So, for and me, even then. I, he was derelict in his duties on a number of occasions. Many, with many times. To the bat symbol. Absolutely. I thought for sure, though, that me ranking him at 16, that I was going to get a lot of crap on this episode, and people and people were going to be like, oh, he's a classic character in the best movies. How could he, you rate him so low? So I feel a little bit encouraged that uh, 16 was apparently a little bit generous relative to the rest of this list. <laughs> Michael, your thoughts, Pat Hingles Gordon? Uh, yeah, I mean,. Alex made it made really good points he, as far as being a part of the family and being able uh, to support Batman. Even though even the movie that you mentioned where he he name drops Mr. Freeze, I have to I have to ask questions as to whether Batman kind of already knew who he was because he had he had the whole Mr. Freeze origin story ready to go uh, within hours of being told that Mr. Freeze was on the was on the hunt. I feel like he was just doing him a little bit of a solid and and humoring him. Um, yeah. Also, his... Batman in Batman and Robin had a lot of, uh, as we saw last month in our last mm -hmm. month episode, a lot of ice related vehicles on the ready. So I think that he was prepared for Mr. Freeze. Exactly. And I don't think that he really needed that info from uh, Lieutenant uh, Commissioner Gordon. Right. Well, this is just because I've watched all these movies fairly recently. Um he does he's told that it is a new villain in town mr freeze so but you do make a good point about the ice vehicles that is a little suspicious so you know i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe there are rumors about victor freeze walking around town who, who knows uh i kind of think so we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about this here because that's not the point of this episode but in harley quinn the animated series they kind of make the case that james gordon uh is a guy is a little bit pathetic and somebody that batman just kind of patronized and like puts up with and i think that that's kind of what we're seeing in that in those movies too they're just like oh thanks so much for the help buddy i really needed you to tell me that good job <laughs> yeah that, that, that's my take uh as much as you know, we, we can get into it when we talk about other Commissioner Gordons. Uh, he's just right. not my favorite. He's not my favorite of the Gordons. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's just in the original era of these Batman movies, he just wasn't a focus. And that's it. Um, all right. Well, it's Pat Hingles, Commissioner Gordon. We press on. Uh, coming in at number 17, we have Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson slash Batgirl from Batman and Robin. So this is why I had in last place. But I, I want to say this. Oh, let me Dan. let me just, just let me hold on. <laughs> I want to say this. While I had her last, I felt really bad about it. I, I, I tried. <laughs> I tried. I tried to justify not having her last because like everyone else in the mid 90s, I was a big fan of Alicia Silverstone. I think Clueless is a brilliant comedy. And at the time, she was a good choice to play Batgirl. And in that time, she could have been a great Batgirl. Is the script terrible for this character? Yes. No question. No question. <laughs> but but I also I I, I got to be honest, and it kills me to say this. She's also just not very good in the movie. Uh, like it. So I mean, at least with Pat Hangel, like I think the performance is there a little more. So it sucks, and she unfortunately just had this bad run in the late '90s. I'm glad to see that Alicia Silverstone has gotten a bit of a revival in recent years. Uh, so now now Alex, I'd say you you had her 12th. Which is, look, I'm not, I'm going to give you the spotlight in a minute here. It's not that 12 is that high or anything. And I don't have a ton of problems with some of the names you rank behind her. Well, okay, ranking her one spot over Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that, that hurts. 
we'll, we'll get, get into that, that later. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I'm willing. I, I'm willing I, to entertain I, the discussion, though. I am curious on your take here, because for for me, he's the most shoehorned in character ever in a superhero movie. Like I said, the writing is awful. He's not, you know, she's not annoying like Chris O'Donnell is in the movie. So there's that. And I'll, unlike a lot of other elements is in this movie, she's not one of the worst. And I'll give her credit. There's some charisma and energy there, unlike George Clooney in the film. So I'll give you that. But I don't know. You, you had her over people like Michael Goff, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like I mentioned. I, go ahead. The floor is yours. I, OK, so I think Alicia Silverstone is great in the movie. It's not her fault that the script is terrible. It's not her fault that they turn her into a computer hacker because it was the mid 90s. And so every young person had to be a computer hacker. It's not but, her fault the script, that they gave the her a boiled over version of, of, of Chris O'Donnell's arc from the previous movie. That None of those things are her fault. I think she brings a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. She could have, that role, given how poorly it is written, could have gone so much worse than it is. And mm. I think ultimately... Her final face-off with Poison Ivy is a good scene. It's probably one of the better scenes in the movie, a movie that's not particularly good. And so I gave her credit for that. Michael, you're more in line with me. You had her second to last. Uh, any burning hot takes here on the performance of Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl? So, I, I mean, first of all, I have to put my comic nerd hat on there. You know, making her Alfred's long-lost niece uh, felt really ham-fisted and not at all, you know, kind of respectful to uh, the Batgirls and other incarnations. You know, it, it, it really, she very much felt like, hey, there's this character named Batgirl. How can we put her in this movie without truly doing, um, you know, doing justice to what the character could be? And like you said, it was a very kind of paint-by-numbers, warmed-over version of uh a story arc that I was not a fan of, uh, more on that later. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and then of course you get the infamous, it takes, you know, she brute force hacks uh, every possible combination of passwords to unlock the uniform that apparently Alfred had wanted for her the whole time. You know, that was very deus ex machina that, you know, we spend a whole movie waiting for her to become Batgirl and she doesn't ever really earn it. So, um, and not to mention, she's more of a love interest for Robin than she is an actual um, support character for Bruce and Batman and whatever else he's got going on. So, but you know, she, she does single-handedly take down Poison Ivy by the end of the film. She does. T she does uh, take down Poison Ivy while also castigating her for not being a good feminist. And you know, that's. <laughs> That's important yeah. as well. It's, I mean, it's one of the more entertaining scenes in the movie. And I also like on paper, like I don't have an issue with changing the origin of a character. If you make it work, then great. I'm all for it. If the writing's there, the problem is the writing is not there. Correct. And it's because they changed the origin. That's where the character felt shoehorned into the movie. Um, but look, I mean, you know, Alex, appreciate the defense. Uh, you know, again, and like I said, I. I think you're right overall, though. Like, if given a good script, I, I, I totally agree that she could have been a good bad girl. I'm, All right. I'm glad I won you over to my side. I, yes. I, I don't need you to rank her 12th, but last, that seems a little unfair. Just That's just the way, again, I tried to justify. The, not this list last. has it's so just, many just, butlers. It's, Come on. It's just the, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get to one of them right now. Uh, coming in at number 16, we have our first Alfred on the list, and it is the Ray Fiennes Alfred from the Lego Batman movie. Oh. We are all pretty whatever here. I was the lowest at 17. 
you were both a little more forgiving. You both have him at 14. Okay, so don't get me wrong. Ray Fiennes is an awesome actor, and I'd love to see him as a live-action Alfred for sure. But I mean, but let's see. But let's be honest. There, there, it was a little. He was a little going through the motions here, and it's kind of like it's like that scene in The Simpsons where Krusty uh, runs in to record his lines for the talking doll. He reads the lines so fast that the audio engineers haven't even pressed record yet, and then you hear that classic Simpsons sound effect of the car driving off, and it's like they got him for a day, and that was it. And let me be. Let me be very very clear here like just by the mere presence of ray fines there's still something there so yes. i give him a, i give him a lot of credit actually because his performance as an alfred as alfred actually feels like effortless he's ray fines so he doesn't have to do much to be good uh i just think in this particular movie and as alex knows i'm not that big of a fan of the lego batman movie anyway i don't think there was a ton written for him in this film and like the script usually just defaults to him making British jokes. I he he does have some good moments. Don't get me wrong. I I do like when he recaps the years of all the Batman movies and you see the images <laughs> on the screen from all the movies in Lego form. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. I think that's really funny and actually really well done. The Lego version of him does get to wear the sixties bat suit. That's cool. Appreciate that. How does that um, not get bonus points from you? Yeah. Come on. I, I mean, listen, you know, I had, I listen, 17th, not like I ranked them last or anything. Uh, can I also, does anybody else find it weird that Ray Fiennes does a voice in the Lego Batman movie and there's a Lego version of Voldemort in the movie, but Ray Fiennes doesn't voice him? I don't know. Seems like a multiverse, baby. Come on. What? Wh- whatever. <laughs> The end of the that day, seems like a contracts thing. It's like, look, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have me, if you're gonna have me do Voldemort, you're gonna have to pay me the big bucks for that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's actually a really good point. Uh, that, uh, yeah, okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, here's what I'll say. At the end of the day, I think he's outshined by the other supporting characters in this movie. For sure. So I, I, I'd rather spend more time talking about uh, Ray Fiennes' performance in the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is legitimately <laughs> one of the great comedic performances of the last ten years. Uh, if for some reason you're out there listening and have not seen that movie, please do so. Uh, or if you're on the show and you haven't seen the movie. Hmm? Oh, Michael, <laughs> you've got to see that movie. It's great. Oh, you've got to see The Grand Budapest Hotel. It is a comedy classic. Uh, but okay. Michael, uh, like me, he was your worst ranked Alfred. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ray Fiennes' Alfred? Yeah, so, I mean, in general, I'm going to... I tend to rank the Alfreds higher than most. I think he's the most essential member of the Bat family in a lot of ways as a, you know, as an ongoing, as an ongoing concern. And then it's sort of a matter of uh, where, you know, how you compare to the other Alfreds. So it was, it was really a mark against him compared to the other Alfreds on this list as much as it was, um, you know, down ranking him. Um, I, you know, it had been a while since I've seen the Lego Batman movie. I probably would have given him a, a slight tick, slight uptick if I had remembered that he got to wear the the old uh, the old bat costume. But you know, he just seemed to be the the Alfred that made the least uh, of an emotional impression on me. So he was he was the bottom tier Alfred for me. Alex, uh, you ranked him ahead of the Michael Goff's Alfred. Uh, that's ridiculous. But whatever. What do you? We'll get to him. Uh, what what do you what do you like about this Alfred? I, so I think that he's fun. I think that he had, I think uh, Ray finds in the role is very charming. Uh, I also think that it's great to see him in the 66 Batman outfit. He gets to pilot the Nightcrawler, which is pretty, that's like maybe the most badass thing that an Alfred has ever done on screen, right? That's pretty oh, cool. Oh no, we can talk about it. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> we definitely will, I guess. Um, and I just, I think that, like, he he serves that role that Alfred needs to as the kind of sage voice of wisdom to a Bruce Wayne who never wants to hear him. Uh, his The way that he tries to gently encourage him to uh, develop a relationship with Michael Sarah's Robin is, is a very sweet part of the movie. Um, and, yeah, it, it just... Out of all of the movies, this was the one that really made it feel like uh, that Alfred was getting to be part of the team in a way. He's not just the guy back at the mansion giving some uh, giving out some advice with some tea. Like he's actually getting in on the action, and that could have been a disaster. And I think that they really pulled it off well, and so I gave them credit for that. That is true. He does. You do see Alfred in action a lot. So uh, yeah, that does differentiate him from the other Alfreds. I'll give you that. Uh, all right. Well. We move on to, we have another Alfred, actually, but we also have another tie. Yes, we have a tie for 14th. Uh, we have, as I mentioned, another Alfred here, uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., and also tied is, I want a Robin symbol in the sky. Yes, we have Chris O'Donnell as Robin in both Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. So wow. we've got a tie with them for 14th. Let's stick with Alfred first. We'll transition from one Alfred to the other here. From Zimbalas Jr. Uh, we were all in the ballpark here. I had him 14th. Michael, you were the highest at 12. One spot over Michael Goff's Alfred. You guys were a little too rough on my guy, Michael Goff. We'll get to him. Um, <laughs> Alex, you were the lowest third to last at 17, which surprised me a tad, only because I know how high you are on Phantasm as a whole. Uh, I'll start with you. Why so low on Ephraim here? Because I think that if you're just limiting it to Mask of the Phantasm, Alfred doesn't really do that much in that movie. He basically just walks around with a plate of sandwiches and hands it out every so often and is a person that Bruce gets to talk to so he doesn't have to just do internal monologuing. But I don't feel like it's a really good showcase for that character. I think he's definitely had better moments in the animated series. But as far as just limited to Mask of the Phantasm, he just doesn't get to do very much. And not, whereas I think that nourishment and giving someone the opportunity <laughs> to open up their feelings is a really sure. important role for uh, an Alfred. Listen, it's a it's a very important role for the butler, but I don't know if it's an important role for the family, you know? No, but I think that in this movie, um, it's so important to get to the internal conflict that Bruce is going through with respect to the phantasm and and I forgot her name um you know the woman that he loved you know I think it's I even though it it from a structure perspective it's exposition you know having the character that gleans that out of him um is an important role for for Alfred it's, to play you're, that's definitely true I just yeah. I think that for me and we'll definitely get into this the further into the list we get the Alfreds that I like most are the ones that feel kind of like an uncle to Bruce, who can kind okay. of be that sort of patriarchal uh, support figure, right, that surrogate father. The grandfatherly Alfreds don't work as well for me. And with, you know, the Mask of the Phantasm one, it really, he really feels like he's, you know, uh, uh, like the hired help who just like is being mm -hmm. polite to his boss. And that just doesn't work as well. Okay. So I actually think that um, I'm really in the middle here because I, I kind of agree with both of you in this sense. So I think Alex, like you, I just think he's just kind of like one of the more funnier Alfreds, which is fine, um, in particular in this movie. It, you know, like, he's funny. I mean, one of his first lines in Phantasm, you know, you're the very model of sanity. By the way, I pressed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. That's funny. I like his dry <laughs> yeah. humor. Uh, he gets some good one-liners in, that's true. Almost all of his lines and scenes, though, are purely comedic in Phantasm. However, to Michael's point, he does have two 
I think, significant serious moments. He actually has what I think is kind of the real money line of the film. And what's probably the most iconic scene in Phantasm is when Bruce puts on the Batman costume for the first time. And Alfred looks at him and says, my God. And that's like a real, like, serious line reading. That's a big moment. Also, though, at the end, he's basically the character who sums up the whole movie. He's got the big speech when he's talking about Andrea and how she fell into the abyss of vengeance years ago. And he's, you know, thankful that Bruce has never crossed that line. It's, you know, that's what separates him from the criminals he goes after. I mean, that's his big speech that wraps up the movie. So I think I'm probably a little... I probably agree a little more with Alex because I think while mostly a comedic character in Phantasm, I will also say, though, that the use of Alfred is fairly pivotal at the end. Uh, so when called upon, Zimbalist delivers. And so that's why I bumped him up a little bit. Uh, but overall, I mean, not a ton here, but he very, very solid Alfred. Um, all right. Like I said, also tied for 14th. We move on to Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson Robin in both Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Now, this is this is a big moment in Batman history. We are approaching the third live-action Batman movie in what has been a very successful franchise at this time. They tried to get Robin into two previous movies. I think I'm remembering this correctly, but when Tim Burton was still in charge, I think Marlon Wayans was set to play him, but then I think the character ultimately got cut in Batman Returns, so it didn't happen. Yeah, that's good. Then, then we get to Forever. Joel Schumacher comes in, and it's Chris O'Donnell. Uh, I had him low at 16. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of I'll give you both credit because you're both consistent. Like Alex, to back up your 12 ranking of Silverstone, you had him 10th. Uh, so it's sort of like, you know, I know you're a little more forgiving of Batman and Robin the most. Uh, I'll get to you. I'll get to you last so we can end on the positive note on Chris O'Donnell. Uh, so, <laughs> Michael, you had Chris O'Donnell 17th. You're more in line with me. I think it's fair to say that this ranking in Silverstone second to last, you stamped your dislike for the Schumacher era. I am curious, though, because I, I will say this. While I really hate Chris O'Donnell's performance in Batman and Robin, I do like him in Forever. But, Michael, I'll start with you. Why so low? And did you like him a little bit in Batman Forever, at least? So, I mean, again, I think I think a big part of the issue for me is that I just— He's too old. Like he 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 doesn't he doesn't feel like a kid, but he's acting petulant like a child, and and that dissonance just stuck with me. It stuck out less in ironically in Batman and Robin, um, you know, because he's clearly uh, you know been in the role for a little while, and he's he's pushing up against the the idea that he wants to be his own man. Um, so it fits a little bit better, but in in Batman Forever, it really it really stretches credulity that um, you know he's he's a twenty something guy, and and he but he's being written as if he were fifteen, and and I and I just couldn't get over that. Um, I couldn't get over that. I couldn't get over the fact that that the movies seemed to not know whether they wanted him to be a young man or a child, and they ended up putting in elements of both in the most annoying ways possible. Um, and unlike, you know, I think that if, if I only had his one appearance in Batman Forever, I would have ranked him even below Batgirl. Wow. But, but, but because he had a second appearance to sort of find his, um, you know, find a little bit more of his place uh, that was able to ultimately lift him up above Batgirl. You see, I agree with you that 
it, that he's petulant, but I think I think that sticks out more like a sore thumb in Batman and Robin. Um, just because I think the writing for him is a little better in Batman Forever. I would say his performance in Batman Forever is workmanlike. I think he honors the Robin character well in Forever. I think there's I think there's some real acting going on when he's telling Alfred the story of how he saved his brother and he flew in like a Robin. Like that's a nice moment. I also don't feel like in Forever he's not forced into the story. Like I think he's woven in fairly well. Uh, you know, I, I will say though, if we're talking about bad allies, you know, the knock him in, you know, the knock on him in Batman Forever would be he doesn't really help all that much. To be no, honest with you. no, his he's awful. Gets, <laughs> his boat gets his boat gets blown up. He gets captured by Two Face, and then Batman has to save him, and that's pretty much it. Not, Not to exactly mention he s- stole the Batmobile and pretty much outed him uh, to anyone that would 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 be able to connect the fact that Bruce Wayne adopted this fairly famous uh, trapeze artist. That is a very good point. That's right. <laughs> what a sentence. Adopted, he adopted Dick Grayson. Yeah, that, that, that's a bit of a problem. Good point. So, but not exactly a stellar rookie debut for Robin. Uh, but I think in Batman and Robin, the reason why I ranked him so low that I did is he is just really, really, really whiny and annoying. It, it is yes. honestly one of the worst parts. Of the movie. And again, with, like I say, like we say with all the Batman and Robin actors, it, you know, not his fault. You know, it's just some of these lines, though. And again, I, I got to knock him for some of the readings, too. It's just like, you're never going to trust me. I want a Robin symbol in the sky. Uh, he says Cowabunga at one point. I, oh, I, just, I, just I, oh, I forgot about that. I, I, mean, um, I think we should all forget about that. <laughs> well, it's there. It's there. Uh, it, it does suck, though, because I do I I do think he showed a little bit of promise in, in the previous movie. So I think if there was a script there, I think you could have continued that universe okay. Uh, listen... It was cool to finally see Robin in this Batman iteration. I just I could not justify ranking him any higher. But uh, Alex, we'll end on the positive train. I you you had him yeah you had him tenth. What is it about Chris O'Donnell's Robin that definitely have you higher uh, than most would? I, well, I mean, have you seen him? Uh, he's very attractive <laughs> when it yeah. comes to Robins. Uh, yeah. So there's definitely that. Um, I will agree with you that the fact like. And I, we talked about this when we talked about them in Forever in earlier episodes. But, you know, Chris O'Donnell is 25. Val Kilmer in Batman Forever is 36. But Val Kilmer looks like he's 30 and Chris right. O'Donnell looks like he's like 28. And for some reason, Chris O'Donnell is being written like he's 16. So it is a big problem. I think that the arc that they give him in that movie is pretty strong. It's just it's an arc for a teenage actor and he you cast an actor in his mid-20s who looks like he's in his late 20s and so it just is bizarre that like this man val kilmer who you know uh very (laughs) credit to him looked fantastic for 36 uh they look like they could be brothers and instead like he's adopted him and he's like uh, he's adopted this adult man it just doesn't make any sense (laughs) exactly It's a problem. I agree that it's a problem. But I think that the narrative arc in Batman Forever is pretty strong, you know, um, like Laundry Ninja notwithstanding. Uh, And uh, I really, in Batman and Robin, I really like him and Alicia Silverstone together. I like him trying to kind of like mentor her and and show her the ropes and and, learn some of the lessons that he failed to learn, even while he is making his own mistakes uh, in that movie as well. I think that's a good use of Robin. Um, and I got to say, I, I really like the character of Robin and these movies don't really do him justice. Like none no. of the cinematic uh, versions of him, I think, um, have really given us the kind of the the Robin Dick Grayson character that 
I came to know through the animated series uh, and that I liked so much. So I got I, I wanted to give like a little bit of credit there um, and get him into the top 10. But that, here's that's the thing. fair. But here's the thing. We do have other Robins on the list. We, cool. So yeah. I was about to say that. And so I think that but I think Alex brings up a good point that I, I, I agree with him and that we really haven't seen a great Robin yet, even though. But let me I'm going to pause on that for a minute because uh, Burt Ward is great and we'll get to him later. But that's so, but that's like but, a different entity, though. Like, that's yes. Totally so different. what I would say is, is that the only good Robins that we've gotten are purely comedic performances, which 100%. is great. But the yep, kind of yep. the, the character that I fell in love with as a kid was a pretty dramatic character that I felt connected to. And I think that Chris O'Donnell is the closest that the movies get to presenting that as flawed of a vision as that is. And this is going to be a very interesting discussion when we get to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, because I would argue that probably the best live action series version we've gotten is a version that's like, mm, is it really a Robin? Mm, well, let's talk about it. Uh, right. That's Chris O'Donnell's Robin. Coming in at number 13. This is actually a big one. We have... Andy Serkis as Alfred in the Batman. I, I have wow. to say, I have to say, out of all the rankings here, I, I'm actually the most fascinated on this one on several levels. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm just going to warn you, I actually have a lot to say on this, Alfred. Uh, I have a lot of mixed thoughts. Uh, I thought for sure I was going to be the lowest here. I had him 15th. And this is this is one where I thought you both were going to crush me for. Um, Michael, I'm going to bookmark your ranking for a moment here. Because, Alex, I guess I was shocked when I saw your ranking. Because I, this is one of those ones I had to triple check. <laughs> you had him second to last. I did. And I, I know did. and it's because now you've already teased a little bit on, I think, on the direction of where you're going to go and why you don't like this Alfred as much. But I just I was just surprised mostly because I know how much you love the Batman. And so I I, just my, my one thing I'll say on this is from the first time the first time I saw the Batman. Alfred was actually my least favorite part of the film other than the atrocious Joker cameo. But, but I just, so I just rewatched the Batman and I really, I really wanted to focus on Alfred for the purposes of this exercise. Well, I still don't love this iteration of Alfred as defined by my 15 ranking. I, I started to get it a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to give you my thoughts on it in a bit. Cause I do want to start with Alex is I'm really curious to see if some of your reasons align with mine as you had him second to last. But again, as someone who loves the Batman, and you had it number two in your movie rankings. Why did you crush yeah. Andy Serkis here? I, so I, I and I do. I love the Batman and I love Andy Serkis as an actor. And I think he's giving a fantastic performance as Alfred. But this movie has no time for Alfred. So basically all he does in the movie, like he you, he gets three pivotal scenes. One is when he tells Bruce Wayne to take a shower. And that's the whole scene. Um, two, he gets blown up, which is if we're being a good if we're rating like quality members of the Batman family, like he got blown up. So, I mean, I guess he took a bomb for Bruce, so maybe we give him credit for that, but I feel like he should have known better and like not gotten blown up, right? So points against him. He also for that. helps he also helps Bruce break a code. We we, we forgot. Uh, I mean, does he really? I feel like the biggest I I feel like that's like that's mostly Bruce. What he does do is he gives that speech about what the truth of his of Bruce's yes. dad was. But and that's a fantastic scene. And I love that scene. And I think that that scene makes him an interesting character, but not a particularly good member of the family because he was holding on to a lot of secrets uh, that really ended up messing up Bruce for a long time. Like if he had been honest about who uh, Bruce's father was way earlier in his life, maybe he wouldn't have built him up on a pedestal and like 
decided to dedicate his life to solving crimes, right? Um, in a way that was not the healthiest as depicted in this movie. Uh, and then, you know, it also caused him to become tremendously disillusioned when he thinks that the worst of his father as a result, because he was not given the truth. So I think as a good patriarchal figure of support that Alfred is supposed to be, uh, this Alfred really let Bruce down. So I think that he could become a great Alfred in the future, because I think Andy Serkis is fantastic. But, uh, but I think that he out of everybody on this list, maybe did the most damage to Bruce as Batman. Now, if interesting. I, if now, can I can I counter that that argument? Yes, go please ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes, because I, I mean, I, while you're right that um, he did keep a pretty you know stark secret from uh, from Bruce. Bruce was a child who had just lost his father, and I thought that it was important. And I thought that I thought in his performance, he talked about how important it was uh, for his father's memory and his father to be remembered as a good man um, be, and to his only child, to someone who looked at him and worshipped him, that I thought it was that I thought that he did what he thought was right from a paternal standpoint in not um, uh, diminishing the memory of of, um, of you know, of of the Wayne father. Why am I forgetting his name? Sorry. Um, Thomas Wayne, you know, like he, uh, the, that the, the, the vilification happened and it happened at a time when Bruce was able to acknowledge the, um, um, the contradictions in this, in this man's personality, but he wouldn't have been in a mental place to acknowledge those contradictions, uh, you know, 10 years prior. Well, what I'd say is that Bruce Wayne in The Batman is over 30 years old. So he could have had that conversation with him somewhere is he between supposed to be 12 over and 30? 30. Is he supposed <laughs> to be over 30? I mean, he's in his second he's, – he's kind of in his second year. I think that's a well, situation where the actor – but but canonically speaking, Batman has the sort of Jesus path where he like goes away and then comes back at 28th, uh, 28. So I think that as the second year and as Batman, that would put him around 30. OK, because I, I had him written as as kind of like mid 20s. I think that he's Batman 30, but he's emotionally uh, not developed. So he might feel emotionally more like he's in his early to mid 20s because he's so kind of regressed as a person um, or just because of all the trauma that he's experienced. But I think he is canonically in that movie about 30 years old. And so, you know, maybe around somewhere between 18 and 22, Alfred could have sat him down and be like, look, there's some things you need to know about your family. Uh, and it's time mm. you found out. I think so. And Michael, you definitely you disagree with us. You have the highest um, per your defense of the Andy Circus Alfred here. The the Andy Circus Alfred is a bit complicated for me. And the reason I didn't like it is because I, I thought the relationship between Bruce and Alfred was just too cold. And look, I'm all for different interpretations of a character in any franchise interpretation. And I'm not saying this had to be the Michael Caine Alfred. But I need to feel some kind of relationship between the two. And I have to say, though, and like I said, I just rewatched the Batman. It was my fourth time watching it. I think I get it a little bit now. And the coldness really is the point and is actually kind of crucial to the movie. So while I can't say Alfred will ever be one of my favorite parts to this film, I see what they were going for. And what it, to go back to what Alex was saying, what cemented for me was in the hospital scene which is, a scene, which is a scene I didn't like all that much, but now I do more. Alfred was thrust into a father role, and he thought he, he, he said himself, you know, he thought he was incapable of being the father figure that Bruce needed. 
you know, he even says himself, you know, I could teach you how to fight, but I could never be the true emotional connection you needed. He's basically saying I can't be the Michael Caine Alfred. Um, <laughs> and so that's that's where the coldness and frankly, kind of awkwardness comes from their relationship. I mean, go back and watch some of these earlier scenes. Alfred has this very terse, quick, rough dialogue with Bruce. He's almost uncomfortable talking to him. Like even when he catches him looking at Lee and he's like, oh, you know, pretty girl. He's trying to bond with him, but they mm -hmm. can't get on the same page. I I will say, though, there are moments where I do think Alfred is really effective early in the movie. I mean, we talked about the code breaking. So Bruce comes back from investigating the mayor's murder and they get into a big argument about Bruce not wanting to meet with like the shareholders or something, you know, whatever. Very typical Alfred got to protect the Wayne legacy stuff, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. Bruce, Bruce leaves in a huff. And then Alfred looks back at the screen of the recorded video as he's watching Bavan look at the kid who just lost mm -hmm. his father. And as Alfred's watching that, it's, of course, the exact same look I'm sure he remembers Bruce having. And right. Alfred just looks devastated. And that's when Circus really lets the emotion in when he's alone. It's a brilliant scene. And that and then what what does Alfred what does Alfred do after watching that? He helps Batman solve the Riddler's puzzle. It's almost like he throws up in his hands and says, you know, if this is what he wants, fine. You know, this is something I can help him with. So, you know, I think Alfred's really struggling there to really bond with Bruce. So I I appreciate more what they were trying to do. I, I, I still don't think I, I think I'm a little more in line with Alex. And then I just I still don't think it was executed that well. When, like, see, for example, see, I, I, I think you're right. I think that the coldness is the point. I think what they're trying to do is establish a totally different dynamic between Bruce and Alfred, but one that is still true and one yes. that is still grounded and, in a, right. in a, in a, um, in a deep emotional bond because and I, I, I mean, I that totally scene agree in the hospital also. is affecting for me as someone who does have a, who, who did, sorry, have a complicated relationship with his father. Um, you know, the, wanting to connect but not but there still being something between them that makes it impossible to do that i i fully agree with you michael and what i would say is that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie too and i think that this alfred is a fantastic character i really enjoy this choice of how they're making it a different version i just think that while he's a great character and it works well in the movie he's not a particularly good member of the bat team yet which i think is purposeful because like there isn't a bat team really yet, right? Like this guy right. has not figured anything out. That's the whole point of the movie, right? So of course he's not going to have his right hand man like helping him out in the way that you would want. Um, but that's why he's so low on my list, right? So that's that's the Got distinction it. I would make. I think he's an incredible version of this character. I really like what they do with him. It just means he's not a good member of the team. Yeah, I think that based on this conversation, I think we can probably all agree that look, there are some. There are some seeds here of an interesting and complicated Alfred in this iteration of Batman. I just, for me, it wasn't fully baked here yet. Um, I appreciate it more in a rewatch, but I can't rank him higher than I did. Uh, okay. But that, that's, that's Andy Serkis's Alfred. We move on to another Alfred. Coming in at number 12. <laughs> we're, just, we're just ripping through Alfreds. Uh, so many Alfreds. So we have another actor who appeared in four movies, and that is, of course, the Michael Goff Alfred. Uh, so, OK, I gave you guys a little bit of a hard time on this one, uh, but in all honesty, so I can understand why someone would rank this Alfred sort of mediocre. Uh, it's it's not like you guys crushed him. You know, yeah, Alex, you had him at 15. Michael, you had him at 13. I was obviously the highest helping him out here a little bit. I, I had him nine. Um, here's what I'll say. I fully admit here that nostalgia for this Alfred bumped him up a little bit for me. So 
you know, even though even though he was my third ranked Alfred, whenever I think of Alfred, this is the one that immediately pops into my head. Just pure loyalty. That's what the Michael Goff Alfred is. You can always rely on him. This Alfred is definitely played up more as the father figure, uh, but it's not overbearing. I think in the first, you know, in the first movie, he's telling this nice story uh, about Bruce as a kid while he, while Bruce is on the date with Vicky Vale, which is important because this is a guy who dresses up like a bat at night and fights criminals. So Alfred is really used here to remind us of the biggest com- human connection that he has. And so Goff's performance here is very essential. Uh, I do, I will say, my favorite Goff scene in all the movies is also from the first film. When Bruce is looking at the old clippings of his parents' death, and they're in the Batcave, and Bruce asks, what's in your mind, Alfred? And Alfred says, I have no wish to fill my few remaining years grieving for the loss of old friends. And then he shuts the steel door to the Batsuit and continues the line, or their sons. That's a great line, and that's also great directing from Burton. Mm -hmm. I think Batman Forever is probably the movie where I like him the least. I mean, him trying to make Robin happen is way too forced in that character. <laughs> He's really trying to push a partner onto Batman. It's a bit much. It's like, you know, it's like in Mean Girls. You know, stop trying to make Fetch happen. I, I, ironically, it's the fourth movie where he actually is, like, given an arc when he's on his deathbed. Um, at least in those scenes, Clooney looks like he cares. Uh, so, again, I, I admit this is there's a lot of nostalgia in my high ranking for this Alfred uh, but there's no denying the, the performance from Michael Goff, though. You know, you always got to appreciate him in these movies, you know, just like a good kicker in the NFL. That, that's Michael Goff's Alfred. Uh, Alex, you're the lowest. Uh, is this more like nothing wrong with this performance, but just not enough there that stands out for you? I mean, it's not anything against the actor's performance. It's just it really never did stand out to me when I think back about those movies. He never really uh, none of his scenes really speak to me very much. And he has a very grandfatherly relationship with Bruce, which makes me just feel kind of gross because it's like, why are you making this man still clean your bathroom? Like, what are you doing? He's like, take let him retire and like have a life of his own. You know, like that's what I'm thinking about what I'm seeing him in this movie, which is not what I should be thinking about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's similar to me. Um, you know, you don't, he, he seems so much more grandfatherly than fatherly. And, you know, you obviously in that, in that fourth movie, they tried to, um, use, use flashbacks and, and create this, this relationship that I just didn't buy, um, (laughs) between them. So, um, you know, but, but, but as an actor, um, golf, you know, did, did his part to, to make a warm character that you felt generally positively about, but, um, you know, he's not the actor that comes, he's not the version of Rob, of um, Alfred that comes to mind when, when I think of kind of the quintessential Alfred. Yeah, got it. Totally understand. Uh, I just, it's, it's for me, like he was, he was my Alfred for a generation. And so I got, I got to give respect to Michael Goff. Uh, just a very, very, very solid performance as Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, so yeah, number 12, very respectable. All right, we move on. Coming in. At number 11, we have our first Nolan offering, um, and we have another Robin, or for some people, they refuse to call him Robin. I don't know. Uh, I'm one of a... those people. Okay, well, yeah, you, okay, <laughs> well, well, all right. This, this, all right. We're, we're, of course, talking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt as John Robin Blake from The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, by the way, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, if you're listening, 
uh, you can send me a thank you card because if it wasn't for me, uh, this ranking would have been a lot worse. Um, <laughs> you guys, you guys didn't crush him, but you were low. Alex, you had him at 13. Michael, you had him at 15. Um, and then there's me. I had him at number six. So you guys what? probably think I'm nuts. Listen, let, okay. I'm, so I'm obviously saddened by this ranking, but I can't say I'm totally shocked. Uh, I know the whole Robin thing leaves a sour taste in people's mouths. I, my guess, my guess is the consensus here. I think people would probably think I'm too high, but you guys are too low, which probably means we ranked them about right here at 11. <laughs> as a, as a big defender of this character, I'll say this. At the end of the day, maybe this is more of a vote for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who I am a big fan of, especially at this time when he was absolutely for crushing it. sure. Crushing it. Every time I watch this movie, I always come away with great admiration, though, for, the Blake, for Blake's art and yes. how it was pulled off. Yes. I, know, I know it doesn't work for everyone, but if, if you hate it just because they say the Robin name at the end, come on, get over it. No, First no. Off, I mean, I, I, so here, let, let me jump in. Let me, okay, I have to. Okay. I have to jump in. Great character, great performance, great actor, all of those things. But this was supposed to be a Bat Family list, and and I okay. dinged him significantly because he's not really part of the team. Um, he's kind of doing his own thing, and to the extent that his doing his own thing intersects with what Batman's doing, great. But he, you know, he's being groomed as the successor, but he's not part of the team at that point. And you know that that's because because for me his relationship to batman um it was was one of my high considerations the the lack of a relationship is what dropped him a lot in my book i think if you're looking at the list in that way that's totally fair um i do want to talk about the successor thing because i think so first off i'll get that in a minute first levitt is so earnest in the role and that's what he does that's what joseph gordon levitt does best it's clear why nolan chose him for this character I think so for me, he really sells the I know who you are speech like that could have easily been a mess. And for some people it is. But I totally buy it. I buy that scene a lot more than other elements in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Blake is like a sponge in this movie. You really see him absorbing the life lessons from both Bruce and Gordon. I like the idea that Blake embodies both these characters. Uh, at first, he's like a bit of a punk, you know, telling Batman, I don't need a mask. I'm not afraid to show these people who I am. And Batman shoots him down. It's like, no, this is why you need a mask. Or when he's with Gordon, tells him, oh, your hands are dirty. You know, you held this lie about Dent. How dare you? And Gordon tells him, yeah, well, wait till the shackles of being a cop come from you and the structures fail you. You know, then you can judge me. Basically telling him, hey, kid, you know, you don't know shit. Uh, that lesson comes around at the end, too. And he goes through his arc. And so. And that's why I think uh, the Robin name is earned. And that's why I don't mind it. And I think the last shot is a perfect ending to this whole trilogy. You know, let's let's not forget John Blake is crucial. He is the final shot of this entire trilogy. This yes, goes he, to is, the he is thing. the dark knight that is rising, in fact, in that movie, it's, which is why the Robin name doesn't really make sense. Ooh, OK. So, <laughs> uh, OK, that, that's that. that's fair. That's fair. I guess here's what I'll say about that is. Uh, I think that they did something very clever here with it. I think that, no, you, look, you were for people who thought that you were going to get like a Robin, you know, running around with Christian Bale's Batman in this Nolan world. It just was not going to happen. It wouldn't have fit. I think they did something clever here in that I think Nolan recognized the importance of the Robin character. And so he brought the spirit of that into the film. And so I think because of his arc, I'm OK with them throwing out the Robin name. I'm pro. 
what, what could, can I yes. this is because this is this is cross examination right now. So when you say <laughs> so when you say the importance of the Robin character in your mind, what is the importance and the role of the Robin character in reference in a relationship to Batman? It's, it's for me, it's someone who and to be fair, they actually do this fairly well in the Lego Batman movie. I actually give him credit for this. It's Batman being able to trust someone to help him in his mission fight against crime. And that's exactly what Blake is because he is teaching him to do that. And he is trusting him to take on his mantle. Hmm, and that's okay. why the Blake character is so important. And that's why I think he earns the name Robin. Maybe okay. a little, it could have been, you know, maybe it was a little awkward thrown in the way they did mm -hmm. in the movie, but it, it, yeah. it was earned and so, it put a smile on my face. So for me, you know, I think that another important aspect of Robin is that he's supposed to be the light to Batman's darkness. He's supposed to be that that um, complement. You know, it, one of the things that keeps him from going too deep down the dark path is the hope of Robin. So because he doesn't bring that to the table, that to me, he he like you said, from a pure partnership perspective, I get that part. But from a uh, compliment, like you said, even even when you were talking about it, you were talking about the fact that he was in a lot of ways a synthesis of Batman and Commissioner Gordon. And he was having their influences build him into the character that he ended up, ended up being. Uh, and it's why, for me, one of the reasons I really do like Dark Knight Rises is that in many ways, it's John Blake's story more so than it's Bruce Wayne's story, you know. But it, but it doesn't really fit the the role as I envision it of Robin being that compliment and Robin being that that light to the, uh, to Batman's darkness. Well, and oh, I, I think, think that, he... that makes sense because if we like, I mean, Christopher Nolan was very public for a long time about not wanting Robin in his movies. Uh, and so when you say, Dan, that you think that, well, like he knew that he needed that. I don't think that that's true at all. I think that he was forced to to put a Robin character into this movie by the studio mm. and he begrudgingly did it. And he really changed what that character was supposed to be as a result. Like you said, to try to make him be this sort of like a uh, battle between influences of of gordon and and bruce in the film which is an interesting thing but it's not what robin is at all and i also feel like they kind of they took it feels a lot like two-thirds tim drake one-third dick grayson and i just would have rather them try to figure out a way to make him just a tim drake character like call mm -hmm. him tim drake and have and follow a, a similar arc to tim drake in the comics i think that joseph gordon levin especially in 2012 would have been a great casting choice for a tim drake uh, and I would have liked him to actually get a chance to do that instead of having to be in this role that Nolan is begrudgingly including in the movie and changing as much as he can just to make peace with the fact that it has to be there. And that's that's my issue with the character. And you well, could okay. not find a bigger Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan than me in 2012. I was as hyped as anyone that he was in this movie, but I, was, I left disappointed. If, if I ask you, if you... If you leave some of the Robin stuff aside and like some of the Robin characterizations and let's just look at this character of John Blake on its own. Do you think it still works in the film The Dark Knight Rises or do you think it's one of the weaker parts of the movie? I think that it's it's in emblematic of what doesn't work about this movie, which is that it's just too overstuffed with ideas and uh, Nolan wasn't able to narrow down 
the story he wanted to tell in a way that could be as well executed as the prior film was. So it's just part of this blow. Like, could it have had potential to be great in the movie? Yeah, a lot of things in that movie had potential to be great, but ultimately uh, they were just, it's just too unfocused of a film. And I think that the John Blake character is as emblematic of that as anything else. I want to go back to something Michael said, actually, because in that it's, it's interesting like Michael, you said, you know, this is kind of Robin's story or, you know, John Blake's story. Right. And I think you could look at that as one of the strengths or weaknesses of the film in a way, because this is supposed to be the end of the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's I think you could argue it takes away from Bruce Wayne's story, because I actually do think one of the stronger parts of the film is that character arc. And I think he earns the platform rising at the Mm -hmm. beginning. I guess I'll just say this. Like, I I actually did feel that way at the beginning. The first time I saw The Dark Knight Rises, I was really disappointed in it. Now, that's just because I had unrealistic expectations, and I, w- I was literally thinking I was about to watch the greatest movie ever made. So that was <laughs> stupid. But I but one of the things I said was, hey, I really like this Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, but it's like it's like the entire movie is about him. You know, this is supposed to be the end of Batman's story. But on rewatch, I actually think that they do give equal focus to both and i think that still bruce wayne's journey ending and his journey beginning is a good bookend to this series i actually do think both are i I actually do think it's the strength Uh, but it's it's weird because like i would not i remember people talking about when this movie came out like oh should we see like the john blake movie i would say no as much as i like this character i actually don't want to see it continue because i think it was perfect we what happens? The Dark Knight rises. The platform rises. We know that John Blake is going to go on to be some kind of Batman and that the idea of Batman lives on basically mm-hmm. forever. So that's just leave it alone. Um, right. So that's why I, I do have Joseph Gordon-Levitt high on this list at number six is because he's such a crucial part to the ending of this trilogy. And where uh, did we land on our overall list for him? Number he oh number eleven number eleven number eleven so, okay ah oh, so we're about to go into the top ten very exciting we were yeah. we were about to go into the top ten the exact so, midpoint that, we're about to go to the exact midpoint of this <laughs> list number ten now now it is getting serious coming in at number ten so we were ripping through Alfred's before now we're ripping through Robin's uh, at number <laughs> ten we have Michael Sarah as Dick Grayson Robin oh. uh, we, we were number ten's pretty good we were all in the ballpark here I had him I had number eleven. Uh, Michael, you had him 10. Alex, you were the most favorable, number seven for you. Uh, he, I'll start with you. He was your highest ranked Robin. Uh, so start us off. S- sing the praises of Michael Sarah's Robin. I, I mean, number one, he's hilarious. Number two, he's adorable. Number three, he's like the sweetest character ever. And he like warms Bruce's heart and like makes him believe in love and family again. And if this is a list about that family... Uh, I don't know how you get better than that. Like he basically like he gets adopted. They don't even realize that he's adopted for a while. He's just bouncing around the mansion. But he makes Bruce believe that he is capable of having a family and wanting to be a part of a family again. And uh, and I think that's as that's how does he not rank uh, any higher than that. I mean, that's ultimately like Michael, I think said very elegantly earlier that Robin as a character should be that sort of optimistic, uh, light side to Bruce's dark side, right. To try to kind of, uh, to, as you said, like keep him from going too far over the edge. And I think that in a very sort of PG sort of way, Michael Sarah's Dick Grayson completely captures that idea. Um, and it completely captures the idea of like, this is, 
a person. This is a relationship that is core to who Batman is. It will turn him into the patriarch of a crime-fighting family and not just a loner trying to beat people up because he feels sad about his dead parents, right? That's that's what Robin is, and that's who Michael Sarah is as Robin. Well said. And he's also hilarious. <laughs> As someone who's not that into the Lego Batman movie, you know, it's fine. Michael Sarah by far, like, easily is my favorite part of the film. I would say the reason I like him so much in this movie is because it warms my heart that there's a new generation that essentially has their Burt Ward Robin. So, <laughs> which he was obviously a massive influence on this Robin, but but it's still its own thing. And this was, I think it's the one part of the movie that did that did this exceptionally well. I'm sorry, like... You know, there's, this movie's funny, but, like, the whole Batman-Joker, like, rom-com thing, it's, like, a neat idea on paper, but it's kind of a mess. This, this, But this relationship feels more genuine to Alex, what you, like, what you said, I agree, to what Batman and Robin is. And it's also really funny. Michael Sarah is just a force with every line in this movie. He's like a machine. I, like oh, the scene gosh. where he goes into the when he goes into Superman's uh, for, Fortress of Solitude, he breaks in. Like it's just like laugh after laugh after laugh. He's so so funny. It's very visually funny too. But yeah, he's got a lot. Like Om Gosh is such a perfect line for this character. Uh, I the scene where he where he couldn't go to the bathroom in Arkham because Bane was already there is pretty damn funny. Um, you know, I gotta say, as I talk about this, I'm actually frustrated because I really do think that the Lego Batman movie had a lot of good ideas. It's just so overstuffed with meta humor. Uh, but whatever. I know people like it a lot. It's fine. Um, but I do. But like I said, I, Michael Sarah's Robin is awesome and really, really funny. Um, and he maintains that humor throughout the whole film. Uh, Michael, he made your top 10. What is it about his Robin that you like? Yeah, I mean, it's everything that Alex said, honestly, and um, the only reason, I mean, I can say this now, I don't know when, when we'll get to him, the only reason he wasn't my highest ranked Robin was because of pure nostalgia, um, you know, we'll get we'll get to it, but um, yeah, he, he every, we, we had the conversation about the role that Robin should play, and I think he plays it to a T, um, you know, adding in the comedic elements uh, as well which maybe somewhat uh, maybe somewhat d dinged it because most of my high level picks are in the drama in, in the drama range but um but yeah i mean i think that i we we still have yet to get a perfect live action robin um but you know i think that he can't comes the closest to um in our in our list i think this is a very good showing for him number 10 i alex i know you were a little disappointed but this is this is a, i mean this is a stacked list i think michael Sarah coming at number 10 is very good he can say that he's in the top 10 all right, we're sticking with the Lego Batman movie. Uh, coming in at number nine, we have Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon Batgirl. Um, so I ranked her 13th. <laughs> Michael was 11th. Uh, I think that's I think those are very respectable numbers right around where she should be. Perfectly serviceable, very solid character. So how did she get this high, you ask? Uh, Alex Marcus, Rosario Dawson. In the Lego Batman movie, you had a number three, number three. Wow. Again, this is this is this is one of those. I had to triple check your list. Uh, so <laughs> I will say, like, she gives she gives nice speeches about working together and working as a family, um, which is in the spirit of this list. So there's that. That's nice. Uh, does it constitute number three on this ranking? I, the floor is yours. Listen, how many other people on this list went to Harvard for police? All right. Tell me. That. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Okay, so I think that she's just a perfect match for Batman. She is a great right-hand woman for him as a crime fighter, like both as Barbara Gordon, chief of police, and as Batgirl. I think it's the best version of Batgirl we've seen in a film. Uh, maybe the best version of Batman, Batgirl that we've gotten, period. Uh, because, you know, I think the animated series stuff is, you know, uh, kind of emblematic of that 90s era of Batgirl. But I think that the comics yeah. have done a lot of more interesting things with her since then. And Harley I Quinn, just love... Quinn Batgirl's uh yes that's she's I very endearing she's very endearing but definitely not but she's still young right she's not ready to be on the level with Batman quite yet in Harley Quinn and I just love that this version of 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 Batgirl played by Rosario Dawson feels like she really could be an equal to Batman and uh and a true asset to the Bat family in a way that uh, very few people um, on this list really feel like they can be. Like, a lot of the times the Batman stuff, you know, in the comics, he's so known for having this family of, of supporting characters um, that are all strong and interesting in different ways. But in the films, a lot of the times, it's really, it's Batman first and everyone else second. And I think that a very few people have been able to stand shoulder to shoulder and really assist in the crime fighting in the way that Batgirl in, in Lego Batman movie is able to. And I think all of my top five are people who really are true partners to batman in one way or another and uh and she's she's in that list i think so i think her opening press conference and like wanting to do the powerpoint that's really funny i think for me i think for me i don't think the writing is really there completely like it's just it is just a lot of cliche lines about teamwork and family like this is honestly this is like batman's version of vin diesel like it's all about family i feel like will arnett should have made a fast and furious family joke in the movie like it would have fit here but she I, also figures out the joker's plan like immediately and it takes batman a while to believe her right like she's really smart and really capable in the movie she's not just giving yes. inspirational speeches well i give i i give rosario dawson a ton of credit here because i for me i think she elevates the writing um, I think Rosario Dawson is awesome in this movie. I think Rosario Dawson has been criminally underutilized uh, as an actress. I'm glad to see that she's getting this res like this resurgence that she deserves. Like I, she'll finally get an opportunity to carry something in Ahsoka. So that's great. Cannot um, wait for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I I see what you're saying that like yeah, very like very equal up to the task of Batman in some ways. You know definitely figuring out things faster so that is fair but you know as barbara as barbara gordon the lego batman movie you know, solid uh michael you were a little more in line with me on your rankings uh your thoughts on the rosario dawson batgirl yeah i love the character it's it was just a matter of you know all like all the other characters that i ranked higher i just like more um that's not to say that i don't think that everything that alex said about batgirl is 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 it isn't true because it is it's just that you know as i'm as i was shifting characters around and saying oh this character over this one you know the, again i the robin the reason i have robin ranked above her is because a, a big part of it was for me the relationship to batman and the batman relationship with robin is just more uh, foundational than the relationship to batgirl so that gave that gave her gave him the slight nod over her, but it's pretty much neck and neck in my eyes. And uh, and Alex, we talked about this when we did the news episode a little while back, and I you know I really do like the Batgirl character a lot, and I hope at some point she does get her just due in a live action movie. Um, yes. right, that is that is a Rosario Dawson Barbara Gordon uh, Batgirl character in the Lego Batman movie. All right, we're at number eight. Coming in at number eight 
It's been a while since we've had a James Gordon on the list. Uh, at number eight is Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon in the Batman. Um, Michael, you had him number seven. Alex, you were a little low relative to how much you liked the Batman. You know, just outside your top ten, you had him at 11. Uh, here's what I have to say. Jeffrey Wright's Gordon is reliable, highly entertaining to watch, and I'm just damn happy to have him in this franchise. And he is easily one of my favorite elements to Matt Reeves' Batman. And that is why I was the highest in number four. Mm -hmm. He fits the tone of this movie so well, it's scary. The movie desperately needs him, too. He provides a very unique level of comic relief. Uh, his humor is very dry and sarcastic, so he brings needed levity, but he never, never takes away from the tone of the film. Uh, it's just like little moments, like the one he has with the thumb drive. Oh, this guy's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but aside from the humor, there's there's also real meat to his character. And Wright's performance is excellent. For For example... You know, when the commissioner dies and him and Batman are investigating the murder, there's this like very subtle sadness to him in his voice when he talks about, oh, you know, he he liked to work out at night. You know, it's like it's lines like that that signal that him and the commissioner were very close friends. And it's obviously apparent that they went through a lot of wars together. Um, but even in that moment, in true Gordon fashion, he just continues investigating the crime, doesn't miss a beat, totally internalizes it. He's got a job to do. That's Jim Gordon. Uh, it's the chemistry and bond that he has with this Batman that is really effective. And you really buy early on that these two would go to war together. The loyalty Gordon shows him, even at, even at you know, his own risk to his job as the rest of the police department mm -hmm. just detest him. I think, that I, I think that their partnership in this movie is really the heart of the film. I, I really believe that. You could, you could criticize the film for this because it does wear its heart and its sleeve a bit too much at times. You know, maybe that's fair, but I think I think it earns it. In particular, when Gordon says lines like, I only trust you, and then Batman toward the end, you know, hey, you're a good pop. Gordon is not overwritten in this movie, which was a great choice. And Jeffrey Wright to me in this film is vintage, is a vintage example of home run casting. I am a big fan of Jeffrey Wright's Gordon. Big fan. Um Michael, well, not as quite as high as, as me. You still had him number seven. Uh, your thoughts on Jeffrey Wright's Gordon? So, yeah, I mean, you know, full confession, first draft of this list, I had him at a lot higher. Um, and I just thought about the fact that I think he could, I think that there's even another level that he can reach. You know, that's, I, I, I ranked him down with the idea that if we did this list in a, in a year or two after he's had another performance as Gordon, he would rise even above above um above the other gordon on my list uh, it was you know everything you said about their relationship it was just a matter of this was a one movie um relationship with him and pattinson's batman versus the other gordons and other characters relationships over more movies um and and that's that was that was the ding for me but but honestly if 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 we're going pound for pound, you know, if we're going appearance, you know, average, um, you know, per per screen time per appearance, then he'd be a lot higher because you're right that the the movie doesn't work without their relationship, um, and you know he's just getting started, they're just getting started. So I look forward to uh, another hopefully five to ten years of of a Batman Gordon relationship and a genre defining. Um, for for a new generation, uh, him potentially becoming the definitive James Gordon. 
Absolutely. Alex, I mean, you're a little lower than us, but yeah, I'm still guessing just mostly positives on Jeffrey Wright's Gordon here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I put him just outside of my top 10 because I wanted to guard against recency bias a little bit, right? I think that his performance is great in the role. I think ultimately the movie utilizes him really well for the first two thirds, and then he kind of falls off in the last third, which works well for the film, but I think makes, when we're talking about a a member of the Bat family, kind of knocks it a little bit, right? But I I love Jeffrey Wright as a performer. I think he is so incredibly talented and capable of really elevating any role that he's in and i think you definitely see um how the creative team behind the batman rely on him to just make so much out of such small moments such in- so many interior motive moments so so many moments where he's not speaking at all and he's really able to convey so much like one of the scenes when he is in the interrogation room with batman and and they he tells him to kind of like pretend like they get into a fight and here's the key to get out of the roof and where to go the way that they play that is so fun and there's a lot of humor to it but there's also just like this inherent trust that's there that really feels earned right we haven't seen their relationship but we know every how it started but we know everything about it that we need to based on the relationship and the chemistry between the two performers so i absolutely love this version of the character and i'm excited to see him moving forward in future versions of this in in this new franchise that we're starting yeah, so, I mean, clearly, I would have liked to have seen him higher, but hey, but Alex, as you said, this is still, I mean, this movie's not even a year old yet, right? So, I think coming in at number eight on this list is pretty damn impressive. Okay, coming in at number seven, th- th- this one is very near and dear to my heart, and uh, I'm I'm happy. This is a very respectable spot for him, and that is, of course, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson Robin in the 60s Batman, and I will just come right out and say it. I had Burt Ward at number three. I'm sure people listening think I'm nuts. Here's my reasoning. First of all, if you've been listening to this podcast, as you, as I mentioned earlier, you know how much I love the 60s Batman. And Burt Ward and Adam West are essential to why that show has the legacy that it does. But why I ranked Ward this high is for one very, very simple reason. He is a one of one. There is no way anyone else could have replicated what he did as Robin. As great as Adam West is, Robin's constant holy fill in the blank is the first thing you think of when you think of the 60s Batman. It's just undeniable. Every time he speaks, there's just a smile on my face. His portrayal of this character, it goes beyond Batman. You know, as someone who's tried to dabble in writing and comedy writing in particular, Burt Ward's Robin is someone I always think of when trying to create a character. He is what great comedy is. He's so specific. If there were memes back in the 60s, he'd have them all. (laughs) I, I honestly, I really flirted with putting him at number one. I, I can't justify ranking him above the two people I had at the top. Uh, but like I always say with these rankings, whenever it comes to the 60s Batman, I rank them as high as I reasonably can. Okay. And so at the end of the at the end of the day, if it wasn't for Burt Ward's Robin, uh, I wouldn't be a Batman fan and I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. So. Clearly, I was going to be the highest here. I know Burt Ward's Robin is, you know, he can sort of be an acquired taste. You either get it or you don't. Uh, but I'm very satisfied with, with where you both had him. I, I think I think he gave plenty of respect here, so I'm pleased. You both had him at number nine, actually, so I, I can I can live with that. Um, Michael, Burt Ward's Robin, go for it. Yeah, I mean, he's not the only Robin, right? He's not the only way that you could play Robin. But he left such a mark, like you said, the comedic, the dynamic with him, the comedic dynamic with him and Batman, the the, the holy uh, whatever. I mean, that's that's iconic for the character. 
I mean, you, you, it's 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 enduring. It's 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 a part of the Robin legacy that will that, that hopefully we never lose. Um, it's obviously there's a nostalgia shade to this. But, you know, looking at it with completely, uh, you know, open open with a complete open mind. Maybe he drops below the Lego Batman a little bit, um, but he he's a standard setter. You know, he set he set the bar, and you know he's it's hard to argue that 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 someone has exceeded it um and maybe maybe no one will but you know obviously i had said before that my list kind of skews more towards uh the dramatic than the comedic so he was about as high as he could go you know as a as a comedic character he's here for me purely out of respect and deference to my forefathers in the bat community uh basically <laughs> um i don't have a lot of personal relationship with this character this version of the character has his charms but is not necessarily what i want from robin but and in an earlier version of this list he wasn't in my top 10 but i felt like he had to be in the top 10 uh just out of respect because he's iconic and you cannot deny hit the fact that he is an iconic iteration of this character and one of the things people of many generations think of first when they think of Batman and Batman's extended family specifically. So he deserves our respect. Um, I'm glad that in his later years, he got to come back for the animated um, kind of send up to the Batman 66 uh, uh, franchise. I thought that was really nice that they were able to do that before he, um, he and while he and Adam us were both still with us. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's, it, you can't deny that he's iconic, so he has to be somewhere in the top ten. I have no arguments with where he's ended up in our combined list. Yep, and so he was, you know, he finishes the best Robin on this list. And I'll say this, and you guys have said this really well throughout the podcast. You know, hey, listen, the comedic version of Robin has been well covered at this point. It, but I agree, it is, it is time. We really do need a good dramatic, serious version of Robin. And yes, even though I defended Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a true Robin, I totally get it. That's like we we got to see, you know, the you know, the true version. And I, I, I totally get that. Um, but that's it. So that's it for Robin. All right. Well, I'm very happy with Burt Ward's ranking, but someone else who's ranking, I'm very happy with let's, let's keep the good times rolling. <laughs> um, as the preeminent Batman V Superman defender on the pop and in, <laughs> and in the young history of this podcast, I've had to endure tragic moments like Alex ranking Batman and Robin over BVS. Um, <laughs> The Batman and Robin Batmobile being ranked ahead of the BVS Batmobile. Um, but, but when I looked at the Jeremy Irons rankings from both of you, in particular Alex, who ranked Jeremy Irons number five on this list, even higher than me, I was so I, I almost cried. I, I did it for you, Dan. I did it for finally, you. I mean, it's it's how I felt, but it also it felt like a a nice olive branch in our in our budding relationship. BVS. <laughs> Gets a win on this podcast. Jeremy Irons coming in at number six on this list. Yes, for as much <laughs> disdain, hate, and absolute mud that gets flung at this poor little independent movie that is Batman. <laughs> we can all agree that Jeremy Irons' Alfred is awesome. So I thank you both. And Alex, I'm giving you the floor first. I mean, you were the highest. You clearly love Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Talk up Jeremy Irons' Alfred. <laughs> 
I well, I wouldn't say that, uh, but I would say that I think that his performance is great, and it's probably the and it is my favorite Alfred on the list of all of the Alfreds. And as we've gone through by now, well, no, my second favorite. I'm sorry, but uh, but deserves to be in the top five for me because I just think he's so fun. He's so funny. He's so clearly been with Bruce through a lot of stuff and has a lot of insight into him as a character and has this really great shorthand with him where he's really able to get to the, like, cut through all of the crap and just, like, get right in where he needs to. Like, he can get a dig in where he needs to and he can give support in a way that it feels like no one else can to this Bruce Wayne. And he also is incredibly capable. Every time we see him, he's tinkering with stuff. He's building uh, robots and vehicles and hot rodding cars and stuff like he's clearly has this kind of really cool um understanding of how things work that other uh alfreds i don't think have really been presented as and so he just seems like his guy he's like this trusted companion in life and love and the pursuit of crime fighting of all kinds and i mean jeremy irons is an og you know he's fantastic he's he's great and everything so of course he's going to give a stellar performance and he's definitely the highlight of that movie for me very also probably the highlight of justice league which he also appears in which we didn't include on our list because it's not totally a Batman movie, but his scenes with Batman in that movie are maybe even better than his scenes in uh, uh, Batman vs Superman in with him and Batman. So I love I love that version of Alfred. It's a bummer to me that we weren't able to kind of port him over. And I hope that you know uh, there's going to be multiversal shenanigans in some other DC movies coming up. And I hope that Jeremy Irons sticks around somehow because he's a great addition to the Batman lore. I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of Jeremy Irons, Alfred. Um, Michael, I'm not sure where you stand on BVS, but you had Irons at number eight. So I imagine that you probably agree he's one of the better parts of this movie for you. Uh, again, I I almost wanted to put him higher, but I couldn't do it ultimately. Um, I, I gave him a lot of extra credit for bringing a new dimension to Bat, um, sorry to Alfred that to that point had not yet been seen in the movies. And that being a, a an, an Alfred that really does feel like a partner. Um, you know, there's there's a father figure element to it, but it you 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 trust in how capable he is. You trust in his uh, kind of rough edge. You trust that he probably taught Bruce a lot of a lot of what Bruce knows. Um, there's just a way of the shorthand between them as um, and a trust that Bruce, that even this older Bruce has for Alfred that, you know, you just feel like it's not on, you know, it's, it hasn't been presented to us, but you can just feel the, the miles on their relationship. You can feel the, the, the wars that they've been through and, uh, and, and, and how, and how they just inherently trust one another. And, you know, generally when people think of Alfred, they, they, they think of, you know, him as a surrogate father, but this was much more of him as a mentor, you know, him as a um, as as someone, like I said, as a partner, um, a more uh, a um, you know more senior partner, but still a partner and someone, but but someone for whom you the affection for Bruce as a man and for the affection of Bruce as someone that he still does somewhat lament uh, that he went down the path that he went down. Um, you can feel that. You can also feel that element. Um, in his performance, um, you know, a certain kind of regret uh, at how at, at that Bruce is still at this, <laughs> you know, at, at his as old age. You know, it's like it's like he's resigned himself to the fact that Bruce is probably going to die as Batman, 
and he's just going to make sure that that day's not today. Yeah, no, well said. And so, of course, I'm a fan. I had him at number seven. And you know what? I, I had Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, one spot above him. I'd probably swap that now. You know, too late. But uh, first of all, he's the funniest Alfred. Uh, so in a movie that people say is depressing and no fun at all, yada, yada, yada. Alfred is hilarious. <laughs> so many good lines. Uh, I hope the next generation of Waynes won't inherit an empty wine cellar. Not that there's likely to be a next generation. That's great. Um, yes. And I'm sorry. I know people can't stand this movie, but but truly this Alfred Bruce dynamic might be the best there is. And what this movie does wisely and it, and Michael, you, you've already said a lot of this very well is with Alfred is actually it actually gives you something very different with the character. You know, we've seen the father figure interpretation with Goth and Kane. This isn't that these guys are war buddies, true war buddies. They are colleagues and they banter like they've been through a lot. And they're the only they're like the only two that really get each other. But mm -hmm. aside from the banter and the war buddy mentality, th there is still real substance there. And look, I BVS tries to do a lot of things. And I recognize that all those things that I've not all those things, but some of those things are convoluted at times and not fully realized. But Bruce and Alfred, you know, that's not one of them. Um, it is fully realized. And we talked earlier about Zimbalist Alfred and how he tells Bruce, you know, and how he's talking to Bruce at the end of that movie. You know, I'm thankful you haven't crossed that line. This is a Batman who's about to cross that line. And Alfred can see it. And one of the best moments of the film is when Bruce is talking about, you know, hey, 20 years in Gotham, we've seen what promises are worth, how many good men are left. And you can see in Alfred's face that Bruce, this guy he's gone to war with, is about to be one of those men who is no longer good. Mm -hmm. And this quest against Superman has changed him. But Alfred also trusts that Bruce will come back to the light, which is why, you know, he doesn't kill Superman. And he then he gets immediately on the comm with Alfred, who immediately goes back to work. And it's almost like knowing that this is how it was going to end. Uh, and they immediately go back to doing what they need to do for good. And so the Bruce Alfred dynamic is the best part to this movie. So thank you for both for recognizing that. And so, you know, everyone listening, you can bash BVS all you want, but good for Jeremy Irons who gets his due. Um, very happy BVS was able to get here. So, all right, that's Jeremy Irons. We move on. All right. Oh boy. We are in the top five now. Okay. Top five. So, from this point forward, it's all Dark Knight trilogy with the exception of one other character. But we are not at that character yet. Coming in at number five, always tinkering away in the archives of Wayne Enterprises, Mr. Reliable, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox in the Dark Knight trilogy. So I was kind of the outlier here. Uh, you guys are going to hate me. I had him at number 10. Uh, Alex, wow. you had him at number. Yeah, Alex, you had him at number four. Michael, top three for you, number three. Um you, you, I mean, your rankings don't surprise me at all. Everybody loves Lucius Fox. And here's my here's my thing with this. I don't have anything bad to say. Uh, I had Michael Goff ranked one spot ahead of ahead of him in retrospect. Probably a mistake. I would probably swap those two. The only the only reason I ranked him a little lower than consensus, uh, but I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to be more on your guys' side is, you know, Lucius Fox is a lot of it is just he's mostly a plot device. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's Morgan Freeman. The performance yes. is great. I, please, I don't just want to be very clear about that. And him and Bale play off each other very well. Yes. And it was a great idea to have a cue in this world. Um, so I, I agree that saying he's a plot device was a little harsh. But, you know, because, again, he's there's definitely some real meat here. You know, his role in Wayne Enterprises, 
and the legacy of the Waynes is important to him and, you know, his the, the ties that he had to his parents. And then obviously in The Dark Knight, you know, he's important. They put him in his moral quandary of using the so- sonar technology all over Gotham so they can find the Joker. Uh, but even that plot element was kind of brushed aside a little bit, but still intriguing. But again, so I, I apologize. Nothing bad to say here about Lucius Fox. It's great to have Lucius Fox in this trilogy. He's never bad in a scene. He's very important to the trilogy in his role. Um, just number 10, he just didn't stand out as me to me as much as the other characters. That's all. Uh, but Michael, you had him at number three, top three. Why so high? So, I mean, you alluded to it. You mentioned that it's, it was a great idea to give him a cue. Um, you're, we're dealing with a, a trilogy of movies that is very much influenced by James Bond. And is and is trying to kind of establish Bruce Wayne and Batman in the modern era as a James Bond analog. And in you know in Lucius Fox, you're you're well not just Lucius Fox the character, but Lucius Fox specifically as portrayed by Morgan Freeman. You know you have an instantly iconic one of one, uh, long lasting character that is all can be argued as important to Batman as as Alfred is. You know, that that him being able to um, run a successful billion-dollar corporation, which can uh, be a cover for his Batman activities, is as important as, um, you know, being able to get a cucumber sandwich when he comes home from a long day of crime fighting. <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that that Lucius Fox does the, the work that, is, you know, he's, he's got the R&D, he's, he's developing all of, the, all of the technology that will be, um, you know, um, kind of filtered over to the, to the Batman activity. And, you know, he has one of the more iconic scenes when the... Um, when the auditor figures out that Bruce Wayne mm. <laughs> figures out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, he's the one. He's the one that's like, "Are you sure that you want to <laughs> reveal to the world and that this guy that's been going around for years, uh, you know, beating people up? Are you sure you that's the guy you want to mess with? You know, I mean, obviously, there's a uh, Morgan Freeman made it iconic. I'm just butchering his quote, but the point, <laughs> but the point is, Lucius Fox is an has has made himself uh, into an integral member of the Bat family to the point where, first of all, he's a, he set the bar. It's going to be hard for anyone to live up to that bar, but it it just doesn't feel right for there not to be a Lucius Fox anymore in the Bat family. So I gave him extra credit for for being this new addition that 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 is etched itself into the into the consciousness of what it is to be a, a Bat fan. Yeah, and that's a great point about the scene with the account. That's probably his best scene in the trilogy, honestly, for me, now that I think about it. Yeah, that's a great piece of acting from Freeman. Um, Alex, you had a number four, very high as well. Your thoughts on Lucius Fox? Yeah, I mean, another great scene of his is when he kind of shows Bruce in The Dark Knight, like the the tech that lets him see everything that's going on in the whole city through hijacking mm-hmm. everyone's cell phones and is like, I made this for you, but if you use this, I'm I'm leaving. Like, I, I can't be a part of this anymore. This goes uh, this go this goes way too far past the line. And it's like this really interesting ethical dilemma of like, should we use this tech to stop something that is truly horrific? And the answer is 
they kind of like split the difference and they're like yes but only this one time and then we'll blow it up we promise which is an interesting presentation but yeah i love i love lucius fox i I think that he's such a fantastic character he's a character that obviously has a history in the comics but not one that i was aware of when i started watching those batman uh Mm. christopher nolan films um and i i really enjoy i really enjoy him he's fun he's got great chemistry as we've said and he uh he just feels like an iconic piece of the bat family which is saying something because i think before those films many if not most people didn't know that the character existed and which is distinct from i think every other character that we're dealing with outside of chief o'hara um, no disrespect, <laughs> but outside of him, every person on this list are people are, are characters that have had long histories in comic books and in the and in the the cartoons House, and everything names. else. Household exactly. names. Exactly. Yeah. And now and yes, Lucius Fox is not an original character. He did appear. Uh, his son Luke Fox is an important part of the Bat mm-hmm. family as well, but definitely not a household name. And these movies and Mark and Morgan Freeman's presentation of of this character created him as a as a core part of the family moving forward, um, and I think that that deserves a lot of respect when you're dealing with something that has such a vast lore, right? And and we've seen them struggle so much to land iconic characters like Batwoman and or Batgirl and Robin and people that are so integral to the piece. So the fact that they were able to take this character that is a little bit more fringe, put him in dead center and make him iconic. I mean, that's how you get into top five. And also just the fact that he's incredibly useful as a member of the Bat family, you know, like he is giving all of the tech to Bruce, right? Like without him, he would not be able to be Batman in the way that he is in these films. And that is also why he gets top five status. He is a true partner in a way that is essential to his crime fighting. Great points. And hey, listen, I still have him in the top 10, but uh, look, uh, despite my efforts to uh, keep him down a little bit, he's still, he's number five. And I think people listening will be like, yeah, number five is about right for Morgan Freeman's Lucius Fox. We'll see. Um, But we're going on to number four. All right. At number four, we have our first Catwoman. And that Catwoman is Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Alex, you're the lowest, but still a very respectable number eight. Now, I thought for sure I was going to be the highest here because I had her at number five. Michael T. Ford III, you had Anne Hathaway, Selena Kyle, number two. Now, here's the thing. Look, we're getting into the part of the list where number ones, twos, and threes, are, they're not going to be that shocking anymore. Um, well, the approval rating on Hathaway's Catwoman is very high. Two seems like you're probably a little higher than the consensus, I think, if they were to look at this list. But, uh, Michael, go for it. Why number two here? So, admittedly, there's a bit of a Dark Knight trilogy skew happening uh, in my rankings. Sure. Um, however, there's Bruce and there's Selena. It's a, it's a, it's a iconic relationship. It is the closest thing that we th- we believe that Bruce has to his happy ending. And in her performance, in, in Hathaway's uh, portrayal of Selena Kyle, you get um, the element of her reminding Bruce, uh, being, the, being a different kind of uh, compliment to Bruce, because to a lot of people, Batman is about vengeance. You know, to a lot of people, Batman is about meeting out harm on uh criminals beyond just um avenging avenging what happened to him and trying to make sure it doesn't happen to other people but with 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 selena you're dealing with someone who has to remind him and ground him about 
his privilege and about the fact that he's still uh, above the fray and he needs to be less above the fray. He needs to remember that there are real people in the city of Gotham that depend on him and that need him at, to be the symbol and need him to stand for the the, the powerless. Um, and I think that you know, at the at the time that this movie comes out, when we're dealing with what we're we're dealing with in society, you know, with the one percent, and with um, you know, coming off of some of the things that were happening politically, you know, having a version of Catwoman that was um, more challenging uh, to Bruce uh, from a from a social responsibility perspective than we have seen in in a lot of the other incarnations of Batman to that point. Um, is what elevated her in my mind. And again, the you know the way that that trilogy ends, he feels comfortable enough to give up being Batman and you know get his get his happy ending that you know we never really assume that Batman's ever going to get. And it and it lands, you know that that he he feels he feels like he can he can step away, he can become uh, just Bruce Wayne again. But um, you know his Batman work will continue to be done. And that people in the city will continue to be protected. And I think that yeah. that journey doesn't happen without Catwoman. Absolutely. And we'll de- I, I'll definitely get to the cafe part at the end. But uh, part of the reason I had her high is just because I, I'm a massive Anne Hathaway fan. And she was my top pick to play Catwoman in the Nolan trilogy. So mm-hmm. when she got cast, it was a dream come true. Even in a movie like Ocean's 8, which is not that great, she was one, like the one part of the movie I remember thinking, wow, this is an Academy Award level performance in a film that is not that good. At the end of the day, I also I I have her high on this list simply just because she is so damn electrifying in this movie. She is blissfully entertaining and just an absolute and utter delight in The Dark Knight Rises. I buy everything that she's doing in this movie Uh, when breaking open the safe at the beginning. You know, I didn't know it was uncrackable. Um, It's vintage Catwoman here, too. She's 10 steps ahead of everyone. You know, uh, maybe her arc in the movie is a bit on those, but, you know, she's, you know, that's right. She she's all about she's all about Gotham's elite getting their comeuppance. But in typical Catwoman fashion, she's looking at the devastation here at the end and realizes, you know, have we gone too far? And then at the end, it's the classic, I'm gonna get the hell out of here. The city is done, but she can't help it. She comes back for Batman mm-hmm. to save Gotham City. She's a total badass, badass on the bat pod. Um, most importantly, she has great chemistry with Bale. I mean, you know, they don't yeah. play up the heat like they do with Keaton Pfeiffer or Pattinson Kravitz. Uh, but yeah, I buy them sitting at the cafe at the end. Why not? Um, you know, I she is layered a character as Pfeiffer or Kravitz. Probably not. I at the end of the day, I just I have nothing negative to say about Hathaway's Cowman. Um, and if she was she if she was not in The Dark Knight Rises, it would have been a very dull movie. And she is essential to that film. And she's just a great addition to the Nolan trilogy in general. She infuses something that we never really saw in those films up to this point. Just this sarcastic renegade running around Gotham City, causing trouble and just trying to survive. She's great. I just remember reading reviews when the movie came out and people, you know, talking up the flaws and the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, But everyone agreed on one thing. Anne Hathaway makes the movie. Um, Alex, you were a little lower than us, but, you know, still high. You know, your thoughts Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Wait, yeah, I quick, mean, she would. Oh, real real quick before, before before we get negative, because I, 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 I've made this point before, but I want to make it for the record here. I think she's the one character in the Nolan trilogy that could have supported uh, a standalone project. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I, 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 yeah. I agree with that. I would have loved to see 
I mean, I will always stand an opportunity to see a standalone Catwoman uh, that is not starring Halle Berry. No disrespect to the legend Halle Berry, but that movie is bad. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, she's a great character on her own and always has the potential to do uh, great things on screen. Um, and I think that Anne Hathaway is no exception to that. You know, she's number eight for me just because I feel like she doesn't really, she just doesn't feel as essential as some of the characters that are above her on my list. Um, but that's no disrespect. You know, she's ahead of way more people than she's behind um is in my list and i really enjoy her uh i think that she everything you guys have said is correct i don't feel like i have a lot to add i just think that for me um a little bit less uh than than you guys in terms of my enthusiasm but i do love anne hathaway i mean rachel getting married is one of my all-time favorite movies if you haven't watched it go check it out it's fantastic uh and uh you know i'll always i'll always wonder what it could have been like if she had gotten to play Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. Black Cat, in uh, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4, as she was originally cast before that movie fell apart. Um, but we got to see something close to it with her getting to play Catwoman. So I'm happy about that, and I'm happy that she's so high on our collective list because she deserves the credit. She would have been a great Spider-Man villain, that's right. Okay, uh, all right, top three. Coming in at number three, we have The Last of Our Gordons. Gary Ullman as James Gordon in the Dark Knight trilogy. Before I get to where I ranked him, uh, Alex, you were the lowest, but still number six, very high. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I'm sure like most people, you still feel like he's definitely one of the standouts in this trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's just a matter of, you know, he's third behind, you know, Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman. So it's it's tough. That's a, there's a lot of supporting male characters in that in that run of films that just do a great job of supporting Bruce as a character in different ways. And I think that Gary Oldman gives a great performance. It's just a matter of the people who he's behind, you know? Uh, but it's definitely a really, really strong version of, of the James Gordon character. I think uh, by far the best on my list in terms of uh, what we've ranked here. But I think overall, probably the best, the vulnerability that he has, the fallibility that he has, the, 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 the humanity that he has it's an essential part of those stories and it's an essential part of of the batman lore and i love that we get to learn what their relationship was like at the beginning we get to see that trust evolve slowly over time and you know i think that the movie kind of those movies kind of peak for that character in the dark knight uh and that might also be a reason why he's maybe a little bit lower on my list uh than than you guys but uh, overall an iconic performance and and also so interestingly played by gary oldman who is really going against type uh with this character he was known for being really bombastic and over the top and villainous in most of his mo uh, more iconic roles prior to this and this is so so the opposite of of all of that and he nails it in a way that i don't think people at the time really thought that he could and he and you know he's been able to build out an academy award-winning career of surprising people in the years since then uh so certainly that is that, that's he has uh, he must have some fondness for this role as well because i think he has he owes a lot uh to the pivot that he was able to do in these movies so yeah i'm a huge fan of this and uh have, you, you won't hear me say anything bad about my man james gordon michael a little higher number five uh i assume like like you talked about you know you skewed high towards the dark knight trilogy as you should gary Ullman's gordon go for it yeah i mean it uh it's to echo 
everything that Alex said, uh, plus additionally, um, where he where I gave him a little bit more of the nod over Jeffrey Wright is the fact that we did get to see him over three movies and we got to see his relationship to Bruce evolve uh, across the time frame. Obviously, he did, you know, the, the peak of their relationship is in the Dark Knight, but you get to see the after effects of such of, of, of that. Uh, you get to see his quasi mentoring of the uh, somewhat maligned John Blake character. <laughs> but you, um, you know, obviously, I think that he's still the version of live action James Gordon that comes to mind when someone mentions Commissioner Gordon. Um, in, in, you know, so I, for that, for that, he gets a ton of credit. But again, he's still just a tick behind uh, Alfred and Lucius um, in terms of the the big the big three of the Bat family in that Dark Knight trilogy. So for me, uh, Gary Oldman's Commissioner Gordon was number one. So I'll I'll start off talking about Batman Begins here. To, to be honest, I don't think he does a ton in Batman Begins. I like him a lot. Don't go he, like he's still great. There's just not as much meat in the bone when compared to his role in the next two movies. Mm-hmm. I think now when this movie was coming out though. You know, as we talked about earlier, you know, the character of James Gordon probably felt much more elevated in Batman Begins just compared to the previous version. So but in that first movie, even though he was a big part of helping Batman, he was kind of relegated to a more comedic role, honestly. I mean, but you you definitely you definitely see the seeds of their partnership forming for sure. Uh, but, you know, one of the lasting images of Gordon for me in Batman Begins is, you know, like, yes, after he destroys the, the train track to Wayne Tower. Now, of course, when we get to the Dark Knight, that all changes. And to me, a big reason why he's number one is because out of everyone in the Dark Knight, I feel for Jim Gordon the most and rally around Jim Gordon more than anybody in that movie. He really is the character who has to deal with the most amount of headaches and pressure. He's got to deal with all the shit. It's all on him. He has to navigate the waters of working with a vigilante. He takes crap from Harvey Dent about working with police officers. He investigated. Gordon says himself, you know, this is what I have. I'm doing the best I can. That's, you know, that's life as a good cop in Gotham City. You know, Gordon mm-hmm. is truly the one with the thankless job. And think about it, too. You know, as the Joker infects Gotham City, he corrupts Harvey Dent. He tries to corrupt Batman. Gordon is the one guy who Joker doesn't even attempt to corrupt. In fact, Gordon's the one who's almost the ultimate victim in all this. He's the one the Joker is really taunting. You know, does it depress you, Commissioner, just to know how alone you really are? And then just the massive amount of guilt that you see Gordon have in that moment as he has to endure that is just gut-wrenching. I, where, Golden, where Oldman's acting also shines is in the pivotal point at the end when he's surrounding Joker's building and planning to take him down. And Batman comes in and says, you know, let me go in first. And this is when Gordon is truly unraveling. You know, I've got to save Dent. It all goes back to that pressure on him. You know, he's the one that's been taking on the brunt of all this chaos going on in Gotham City. Uh, So then we get to the third movie. And, you know, I know Dark Knight Rises has its flaws, but they I think that they continue this burden of Gordon very well. So as the city prospers for eight years, he's the one that has to live with this lie. And it's obviously ripping him apart, but, you know, he, hey, he's the one that sacrifices his soul for the good of the city. And let's not forget, going back to the Dark Knight, he's the one that has to destroy the bat signal, knowing that Batman is actually the true hero of Gotham, but it's him that has to destroy the symbol of their unity, which is why it's such an awesome moment when the last image we see of Gary Oldman's Gordon in this trilogy is seeing that bat signal repaired. Loved it. 
So I, for me, the Gordon portrayal in this trilogy is also very true to the comics. I mean, it's like, how much can this guy take? And, you know, and then remember in this trilogy, his family also moves away. It's like, again, how much can this guy take? But in the end, he wakes up every day. He does his job. That's Jim Gordon. That's Gary Oldman's Jim Gordon. And that's why he's my number one. So, hey, listen, well, he didn't finish number one on this list. I'm certainly glad he's very high. Um, you know, listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of good characters here he's competing with. So all good. Number three, Gary Oldman, James Gordon. All right. Well, this is it. We're at number two, which means also at the same time, of course, we reveal who's number one. But let's start with number two. We have. And I, I'm sorry to both of you. I, I, I was the party pooper. Um, so at number two, it is Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle Catwoman in The Batman. So uh, let's just get this all on the table here. So my esteemed colleagues each had Zoe Kravitz at number one. So I am yeah, the dream crusher. I am the, I am the dream crusher. Um, so I had Zoe Kravitz in number eight. But please let me be very clear here. I'm a fan. Uh, what what I like about the Zoe Kravitz Catwoman is that she really differentiates herself from the previous iterations. What's great about her take is just like, how intense and driven she is. Mm-hmm. Um, on rewatch, there's one moment in particular when she's putting on her disguise, you know, like the wig at the end, when she's going to get Falcone once and for all, I'm telling you, and this is because I watched it recently, the look on Kravitz's face is just pure dead eye focus. And the music also syncs up with it perfectly. It's great. She's great. It's also a nice, honestly, it's also a nice change of pace to have a Selena Kyle whose motivations are not ambiguous. I think the Catwoman character can often be a gimmick when they only play up the idea of, oh, you never know what side she's playing at any given moment, which can be entertaining. Um, but I like I, I like the very real human motivations here. She even flat out tells Batman, I'm here for my friend. I don't care about you solving these Riddler crimes. That's why I'm here. She tells you right up front wh- what she's after. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie also does a great job of defining what the biggest difference between the two are and why they're destined to never be together at the end. Because as much heat as they share with one another, and they definitely have that in this movie, Selena will usually care about her personal motivations more than Gotham City. And Batman will always care more about Gotham City than his personal happiness, which is why he stays at Gotham at the end. Which is interesting, because the other two Batman iterations actually don't do that. Keaton's Batman is willing to give it all up, and Bale's Batman actually does give it up, but very different movies, very different Batmans. Mm -hmm. I think Kravitz's best line is probably at the end, when she's trying to entice Batman to go with her, but she takes one look at the city and she just simply says, you're already spoken for. Um, so I think, unfortunately, Kravitz is saddled with some not so great lines. Not her fault. I like I mean, I, I have to say, I actually think Zoe Kravitz elevates the screenplay a little bit at times. Like her dialogue can be a little bit on the nose, uh, like a little bit on the nose, beat you over the head. You know, let's knock off some CEO hedge fund types. Uh, all anyone cares about are these white privilege assholes. I guess you could say I like how blunt she is in that it does actually fit with what I was saying earlier, like her motivations mm-hmm. are always crystal, crystal clear. So, which again, is a nice change of pace for the character. Um, So, uh, I don't know, sometimes on the nose dialogue can be a pet peeve of mine, but I, so I want to give you guys the floor here because you, you both had her at number one. For me, I think, I'll say this, I, I think there's a good blueprint for the character that has not been fully explored yet. And look, which to be fair, we've only had one movie. So that's why I ranked her a bit lower than most probably would. I the more I think about it, I actually do want to see this version of Selena Kyle play more of a central role in the sequel. Um, I think I just think some of her scenes in this film, like especially at the end with Falcone, I wasn't as invested, 
but that's just also because it's not her story. So, and I actually, I would actually even take it one step further. While I would rank Pfeiffer and Hathaway ahead of her Catwoman only because I think their characters work better in the context of those other movies. I, going back to what you guys were saying, like you want to see a solo Catwoman film. I think Kravitz's Catwoman, though, is the one where that is a spinoff that could actually, I think, truly carry an entire movie and even movies. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. Well, I have the lowest out of the three of you, like, please, like her. I think her potential is through the roof. I think she's great. Um, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Why number one? Because she's fantastic. Why else do we need to have a discussion, right? It's, she's fantastic. She is the anti-hero of the film that teaches Bruce how to become a hero, which is right. essential in terms of if we're talking about Bat family, one thing that they have to do is help define an aspect of who Bruce is as a person, and she does that swimmingly. She's also an incredibly capable uh number two for him in some ta- in a lot of scenes he's actually her number two uh in a way because she is uh she understands things about this world that he hasn't been able to understand yet because he's so secluded and he's so inside of his own head and she is there to represent what the world on the street really is like and if he wants to be a champion for these people he has to understand what these people are actually going through and that's what selena can give him uh that it's not just she's a cat streetwise smart cat right she's also which is kind of like a a little bit of a cringy aspect of that character sometimes in different versions of it but it really is that she is from the street she is of the people and she gets what's going on in a way that he hasn't figured out yet he's decided that this is his life's mission without really interrogating what that actually means for real people other than him and she's that mirror for him in a way that is so crucial for the film and just an incredibly important function for an ally to serve in the story and right. she's also and just the, a complete badass so I right mean, and the that point too. that and the point that she enters the story to start for cutting you off but i no, think no, it's, it's relevant to what you know in in the contrast of the other selena kyle that we talked about who enters bruce's story towards the end the fact that she enters his stories so closely to the beginning means that she necessarily is going to have an outsized impact in how he conducts his business as batman that the, he'll all even even if we don't see her for another five years in the whatever the time timeline of the movie is we'll know that that she made an indelible mark on on him and on the way that he will become batman yeah like anne hathaway's catwoman is there to tell this bruce that his job isn't done yet right he has retired yeah. he has made crime illegal through the dent act or whatever the hell that means and he is kind of and he's just sitting in his pain over his loss right and she's there to say no dude like the world is still bad and if you're going to be committed to this cause you have to actually get moving and do something about it otherwise these bad actors are going to fill in the gap that you've left in the city in this version she's there as we said like right at the start to be like this is what the idea of what you think you want to be doing but you have no idea what the reality of it is and you need to step outside of yourself and your own intentions and your own pain and your own psychosis and see what these people really need before you decide to dedicate yourself to this and that's gonna like you said have a huge outsized impact on this version of the character and i love the use of selena in that way i think that's such a smart way of using her and i think zoe kravitz just steps up to play it majorly by being that fierce uh strong powerful charismatic smart wise character at this Mm -hmm. that that bruce needs in this moment in his life right absolutely no i well said guys and again like hey 
I had a number eight, but like when I when I when I take a look at these rankings and I see like, oh yeah, Zoe Kravitz number one, it's like, oh yeah, I get it. Um <laughs> so absolutely. So no, uh number two for the Batmans, Zoe Kravitz. So, which means coming in at number one, I don't think this is probably it's probably not a big surprise. I think I, I I would say coming into this, he probably would have been the odds on favorite to win this. Um that is Michael Caine as Alfred Pennyworth in the Dark Knight trilogy. I had him two, Alex had him two, Michael had him four. So this was a bit of like a, I guess, like an Oscar best picture, like preferential ballot winner, it feels like. Um, I guess that's the, the point, consensus though. pick. Like, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's like nobody is going to complain about Michael Caine's Alfred winning this. I, it's So it's like as much as so. All right. As much as I like the Michael Goff Alfred and you 100 percent get some of that um, in you like you get some of the Michael Caine Alfred in the Michael Goff Alfred, but it's perfected with Michael Caine here. Yes. So I think for I think, first of all, he has one of the most repeated and famous moments in the Dark Knight. I mean, come on, who amongst us hasn't tried to do the Burma speech? You know, it's uh, it's become a bit, you know, I don't maybe memeish isn't the right, you know, phrasing. But you know what I mean? It's like, for, first of all, it's obviously a legitimately well acted speech by Kane, you know, shocker. Uh, it's also a very crucial scene. He's trying to tell Bruce, you know, there's no logic to the Joker. You're not going to figure him out. This is going to be really dangerous for you. Uh, and then, of course, just like all great screenplays, the speech comes back around when Bruce is at his lowest moment after Rachel's death. And he asks Alfred, you know, did you catch the bandit? And Alfred says, yeah, we burned the forest down. So um, but also just more on Michael Caine's acting. I I always bring this scene up when talking about the Dark Knight. It's it, this is a prelude to the Burma speech, but you know, go go back and look at the scene where Bruce and Alfred are watching the video where Joker is torturing one of the fake Batman. And just observe how Bruce looks at the video and then how Alfred is looking at it. Bruce is watching and has this like kind of confused look on his face, as if to say, "What what the hell is this guy? Like, who is this guy?" But you can tell on Alfred's face that he knows exactly what this is and what Bruce is up against, which is pure unpredictability and chaos. It's a great piece of acting by Kane. I think, you know, this version of Alfred was definitely blessed with some great writing, no question. Uh, but the Burma stuff aside, you know, I this Alfred will always be remembered for being the true father figure to Bruce. And while other Alfred versions have tried to do this, this is the one that really commits to it. So I think that's why everyone is so invested in this Alfred whenever he's on screen. You know, I talked about how Gordon is the one who has to deal with everything happening to Gotham City. Alfred is the one who has to deal with watching Bruce Wayne nearly nearly kill himself every night. And throughout this trilogy, he's he's always waiting for Bruce to come home, hoping he will come home. I also I I love the arc that Alfred goes through throughout the entire trilogy. In Batman Begins, he's deeply concerned about what Bruce is up to, but he slowly realizes this is someone the city needs. In The Dark Knight, he's a full-on ally helping Bruce. But by The Dark Knight Rises, it's enough is enough. You can't do this anymore. And that's where he finally breaks. And obviously the scene everyone points to is the you're not Batman scene anymore speech um, where you finally see Alfred, you know, being the full on dad. And it's a great scene. I also hate it just just because the line of goodbye, Alfred, just it sucks. It's so crushing when Bruce says goodbye, Alfred. It's followed up brilliantly the next morning when the doorbell rings and Bruce comes downstairs. and He's just like, Alfred, you know, he says this as if he can't even fathom that he would actually send Alfred away. Uh, I think in The Dark Knight Rises, you could argue it's a flaw of the movie that you never see him again throughout the entire second half. I actually think it's more effective that the next time you see Alfred is at the gravesite apologizing to Bruce's parents. And again, it's just a stellar performance. 
Uh, so, I mean, I know you and I know at the end, you know, you could say like, ah, the end is a little schmaltzy when Alfred gets his dream and sees Bruce at the cafe. No, I love it. I love it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) If there's anybody who's earned that moment, it's Alfred Pennyworth. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's a it is a true crowd pleasing movie theater moment. Uh, I love it. So, yeah, he's a deserving number one on this list. Uh, I mean, I'm just because I'm not sure who else could have brought the pure and utter emotion that Kane does. So uh, the Dark Knight trilogy is, does not work without him, period. Um, Alex, you had him at number two. You can't deny Michael Kane here. No, of course not. He's the heart and soul of these, these films, right? He is the the father figure that Bruce needs throughout the stories. He is essential, you know? He's just essential. And he paints such a large shadow for me that going back on watching the earlier films which i for the most part saw after watching the dark knight trilogy uh just made me have a hard time respecting what the other alfreds were doing on the same level and that is why so many alfreds are rated so low on my list is because they just don't hold a candle to what michael Caine is bringing because of course he's a fantastic actor this movie is deeply invested in their relationship i think a lot of aspects of their relationship are really redefined in a meaningful way in the canon as a result of how strong of a bond they have in this movie these, these series of films and uh and i think that you know in terms of impact in terms of meaning in terms of just the most as you talked about some of the more memorable moments of the films Alfred is there. Alfred is the one who's there through it all, and he is an essential part of this family, right? If we have, if this is a family, he is that paternalistic uh, patriarch of the family, kind of guiding Bruce, helping him be the man he knows that he can be, and that is, it's just, it's just essential. There's no other way to talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, Michael, I mean, you were the lowest, but I mean, still number four. Again, as we talked about, it's just it's a it's a lot of tough choices here between these characters and actors. But go for it. Say your piece on Michael Caine's Alfred. Take us. Yeah, home. I mean, it's it, it's tough. It's tough because everything you guys said, it's it's he's he's the peak. Uh, this is the peak of the character, the one of one of the most essential of the Bat family, if if not the essential Bat family member. I guess I just sort of felt like we had so many Alfreds. Um, and even though he's the peak of the Alfred, the fact that there were so many other takes on the character that had also um, carved out a little bit of space uh, uh, allowed me to to take him for granted a little bit. Um, but 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 you're right. The the Dark Knight trilogy can't be the Dark Knight trilogy without Alfred. Um, and if I'm gonna skew that high, <laughs> if I'm gonna skew that high, then I have to skew that high with him as well. Um, so. Uh, I, you know, there, I can definitely be talked, uh, be, be talked into him even higher than, than, you know, than the four that, that, that he was at for me. But, but, um, yeah, like it's, I'm not, I'm not upset at all that he, end, that he ends up topping out at one. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Number one. Despite the fact that Selena is, is just magnetic and electric. <laughs> well, <Absolutely. laughs> that's it. We did it. The bat family has been ranked. So I will recap. I will go from best to worst now. Um, here we go. Number one, Michael Caine as Alfred in the Dark Knight trilogy. Number two, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle Kalman in The Batman. Number three, Gary Oldman as James Gordon in the Dark Knight trilogy. Number four, Anne Hathaway as Selena Kyle Kalman in The Dark Knight Rises. Number five, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox in The Dark Knight trilogy. Jeremy Irons as Alfred in The Greatest Movie Ever Made, Batman v Superman <laughs> Dawn of Justice. Uh, number seven, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson Robin in the 60s Batman. 
Number eight, Jeffrey Wright as James Gordon in The Batman. Number nine, Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon Batgirl in The Lego Batman Movie. Number 10, Michael Sarah as Dick Grayson Robin in The Lego Batman Movie. Number 11, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as John Blake slash Robin in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, number 12, Michael Goff as Alfred in the Burton Schumacher era. Number 13, Andy Serkis as Alfred in The Batman. Uh, tied for 14th, Ephraim Zimbalas Jr. as Alfred in Batman, The Mask of the Phantasm. Also at 14, Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson Robin in the in the Schum just the Schumacher era. Uh, number 16, uh, Ray Fiennes as Alfred in the Lego Batman movie. Uh, number 17, Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson Batgirl in Batman and Robin. And tied for last, number 18, Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon in the Burton Schumacher era. And of course, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara in the 60s Batman. So there you go. You know, I'm sure they're all sitting together at the Thanksgiving mm -hmm. table having a lovely meal. Uh, so there you go. That is our Bat Family rankings. Um, so great. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us. But uh, before we go, of course, uh, let's all plug some stuff. Michael, got anything to plug for us? Uh, well, Alex would love for me to plug uh, a new episode of Goodbye to All of That. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's been a while, but but I'll, I'll be back uh, with Pop Break TV and Goodbye to All of That uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, you can also find me regularly um, discussing comic book shenanigans on my uh, Racial Draft podcast. Uh, we may or may not um, do a separate uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever podcast if I can wrangle some people together to talk about that. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, you can find me all over the Twitters uh, until it becomes Mastodon or, or something <laughs> else um, at MTFIII. All right, Alex, plug away. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter uh, for now, as we've said, until uh, we figure out whether Elon is the kind of guy who just wants to watch the world burn. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Media, at Media Thinkings. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Media Thinkings, where I do have rankings of all the Batman films, in addition to all all manner of comic book things over there, so definitely check that out. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast on this feed, the Breakcast uh, podcast feed, um, Bill vs. the MCU. We have, after 11 months, completed our rewatch of the entire MCU uh, with our final episode on She-Hulk, Werewolf by Night, and the aforementioned Wakanda Forever. Uh, so you could definitely listen to that. Next month, we're doing an awards special we're going to do a quick recap of the of the guardians of the galaxy uh christmas special and then we're doing a full awards uh extravaganza on the first four phases of the mcu giving out a lot of fun prizes uh it's going to be a lot of fun and you'll have to listen to that if you want to find out what season two of bill versus the mcu is going to be all about michael i think you're going to be excited to find out what that is mm. uh <laughs> um you can also follow my film podcast at cinema joe's on twitter cinema joe's on all major podcast platforms uh that one we are also we also did a review of of um wakanda forever and next month we're doing a review of avatar 2 uh so definitely tune in to those episodes coming uh and you can listen to pop break tv where i have a monthly podcast on there called TV Break with Bill Bodkin and Josh Renacki, where we talk about all the news, reviews, and reactions to the latest news um, in the world of TV. So definitely check that out. In December, we have our our year in review episode uh, where we talk about the biggest uh, the biggest news stories, best streaming services, and uh, and best series of the year. So you got to tune in for that as well. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Alex. And uh, you can find me at DeconeWriter on Twitter. Find me at DeconeWriter on Twitter. Uh, also, uh, I 
was on a recent episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast on the PopRake.com, where I'm talking more DC films. Uh, so we talk about the future of DC films and what that holds, um, talking about the recent news about James Gunn being the head of DC. So uh, really, really exciting stuff there. Uh, I am also writing for the site again. Uh, you can find my weekly column. I'm bringing it back. Bold box office predictions. Uh, it's a really fun column to write. Uh, I, it gets released every Thursday. So check that out. Uh, that's what I got going on. Uh, so again, you can follow me at D Cohen writer on Twitter. Uh, all right. Well, that's it, everyone. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.